is Thursday, September the 14th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We will move on into NFL Week 2. Eric joins me to preview all 16 Week 2 games. We recap a lot of what happened in Week 1 as we provide analysis. If you're a better someone who is a serious gambler or just likes to have fun putting a few bucks in, if you like to play fantasy football, if you play daily fantasy, or if you just root for your team, you will really enjoy these previews of each and every game each and every week. Then we'll get into the horse racing portion of this episode. Friday, Woodbine Early Pick 5 Preview. Saturday, it's the Woodbine Mile Grade 1 event. Four graded stakes races on the card. They have a huge Pick 5 pool with a $250,000 guarantee. Barry Spears, the sniper, he joins me, and we preview races 6 through 10 for Saturday at Woodbine. It's also opening weekend at Aqueduct at Belmont. Big A, or it's the Belmont at the Big A meet. I have a couple best bets for Saturday over at Aqueduct. And we finish up this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk about everything happening in the world of AEW, Dynamite, Collision, WWE with Raw and SmackDown, and NXT. NXT has been rolling. We have a new champion on there, a women's champion, Becky Lynch. All of that. And more on this episode of That's What G Said that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. That's the website. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of lenders if you need help with the loan process. Maybe you're looking at home improvement. Don't worry, she's got you covered. She has great connections with landscapers, gardeners, painters, all sorts of folks that she's worked with and she has experience working with. Give her a call or check out that website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's where you get all of the information. You can get that phone number. You can get her email. You can get all of the the past projects that she's worked on. You can have hear testimonials and read from some of the folks that she's worked with. She'll even do a free market analysis of your home's value. Truly wants to help you, Cindy Carava. Okay, let's get on into it. NFL week number two. Game-by-game preview starting with the Thursday night football game and then on to Sunday and Monday, two Monday games this week. Eric joins me to talk about all of them. NFL Week 2, time for overreactions. We know exactly how all of these teams are going to look 17 weeks from now, don't we, Eric? Everything that we just saw last week is exactly how it's going to be. We need to overreact to everything. We just saw in week one, always a fun week. Eric could be a scary week sometimes because we have a sample size now, but not much of a sample size. So you still want to use some of what you thought coming into the regular season, but at some point you got to start to pivot a little bit off of what you, what you may have thought and make some adjustments, right? So it's a little bit of a dance. Exactly. And I'm not going to lie. Like week two, excuse me, is always one of my most, action-filled weeks i have it's a scary one already locked in and it's one of those things i'm looking at i'm like god damn dude you have a lot of action out there and you know what we'll see what happens so you and i put together five bets for each week together uh last week we were two and three we had the browns easily win titans it's funny we got lucky in a sense in the cover in that game, how it worked out because Vrabel very easily could have gone for it late in the game when they were down by four 
and we may not have covered, but the way the game played out until then, I don't think we were on the wrong side there. The Titans should have won that game if Tannehill was not miserable. He missed a couple wide open throws that would have been touchdowns in that game. So I think we still were on the right side of that. I think it still worked out right for the folks who were on the Titans plus money side there. Um, the other losses that we took are the losses that we took were Steelers did not show up at all. What a pathetic showing from them in their home opener. Just God awful Texans plus the 10. They were feisty and they were in that game late. And then the Patriots plus four, another one where I think we we're on the right side there. When we dive into the talk about the Patriots and Eagles a little bit. Yeah. The Patriots really outplayed them. They had way more yards, yards per play. They just had those two back-to-back turnovers, right? Yeah, that they got flipped. behind the eight ball real, real early. But but they're in a position to cover. I mean, they're yeah. in a position to cover, basically in a position to straight-up win. Um, Texans were, too. Texans' defense mm-hmm. looked pretty good. It wasn't they that did. impressive. Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, I had some – and I was on the Colts, and that one stung a little bit, too. But you know what? Yeah. It is what it is. That was a nasty one. You know, it's the joys of gambling. People always ask me, like, what do you do after you win big? I get ready for the next week. What do you do it's, after you lose? I get ready start for Start handicapping week. for the next one. You know what I mean? Right? There's no – You got to. You, you know it, You know, it's, it, it's a grind, and you just move on, and you just get ready and do your best, man. I'll, I'll get probably a little more maybe than you. I'm not saying that you won't, but I'll probably get a little more mad on certain days or nights. But then, then I kind of let myself that day or night and then the next day it's over. Like I'll let myself kind of be a little frustrated if you have a bad one that you know. But then, like you said, it's hard if you if you got to do the work and keep doing it. You have to have a clear head when you're doing the work. Like I've tried to sit down before and handicap when you're really bitter. Man, there's nothing worse than that. Like trying to look at races or games or rewatch stuff when you're when you got a bad feeling and a bad taste in your mouth. It's not it's not a good energy. So you always want to try to have the clear head when you're looking at your research, when you're preparing your stuff. And uh, let's get that clear head for week two. 16 more games this week to dive into, Eric. We're looking at DRF Sportsbook. Just a reminder, any of you that are in the state of Iowa, sign up for DRF Sportsbook right now. Use our promo code FAST350. It'll give you a $350 deposit match bonus. So if you know anyone, friends, family members, anyone that's in the state of Iowa, let them know about this. They'll get a place to play. They'll get a bonus. And Eric and I will get a few bucks back uh, for using our promo code. So fast 350, give you up to a 350 deposit match bonus. Thursday night football, Eric, last year, these were two of the best teams in the NFC. Isn't it amazing how regression to the mean can happen for a team like the Minnesota Vikings? They are a six and a half point dog on the road playing at the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the Vikings won 11 games last year that were decided by one score. Every game they played in the regular season that was de- decided by one score, they won. Every ball bounced their way. And then in this game, it was the exact opposite of that, Eric. So now, since the regular season of last year, after winning 11 straight one-score games, the Vikings have now lost two in a row one score games in the playoffs they lost and now to kick off the season turnovers cost them. Kirk cousins had two fumbles, one inside his own 20, another inside field goal range. He threw an interception on the Tampa two. 
They also jumped off sides on a play when Tampa kicked the field goal. And after that, Tampa ended up getting uh, a touchdown because they got an automatic first down there. The drive kept going. And instead of three, they got seven. Those are all the little things that were happening for Minnesota last year. Teams that were having weird penalties, weird turnover luck. They had, uh, they moved the ball way more. They had way more total yards. They won the box score yards per play, 5.9 to just 3.6. They won third down percentage, but they turned the ball over three times and they scored only one touchdown in their three trips to the red zone. So they lost totally opposite of what happened for them last year. It was just funny to see because it doesn't always happen that quickly or that blatantly when you see it in a box score where it's like, wow, this was just an unlucky game sort of for them. They even had unlucky injuries to the center Bradbury offensive tackle. You want to keep an eye on those. Eric, I'm going to mention something now this year. I think you'll like it too. I'm going to send you some of the information on it. So pro football focus has a new metric they have. It's called a noise canceling score. It's basically like what we use for shot quality. Uh, in the NBA, it's something similar to that where what it does is it grades your ability to move the ball. It, it takes out turnovers and like some fluky things that happen. And and so it, it shows you like down to down and throughout who's moving the ball better. The Vikings won that score that in that game by one. They should have won that game based on their score taking some of the fluky things out. I thought that's a cool metric. I'll show you. I think you'll really like it. It's brand new this year. This team was, it was just so funny to see all of that happen in week one. I mean, you knew the regression was coming. Um, The thing that stood out to me was I was low on Madison. I did bet his rushing prop under. He didn't look that good. Ty Chandler got a run. I expect by the end of the year, it's going to be Ty Chandler's backfield. You're right. If they could have took advantage and scored those red zone turnovers, um, I know, sorry, would have scored in the red zone instead of Kurt having turnovers, they would have won the game. Uh, Defense has some holes. Baker Mayfield was able to move the ball. Really no one in the DBs that was able to to stop Evans or, uh, oh, my God, Godwin. A little bit worried. Jefferson showed out. First half, but then they they kind of shut him down in the second half. Jefferson looked pissed on the sidelines, too. He did. Body language was bad. He looked pissed on the sidelines. End of the day, um, this is this is one of those things. This is this is betting. It's buying low, selling high. This line opened up at eight. It's dropped all the way down to six because there's potentially like there's three starters out for the Eagles. Uh, The thing that really stood out for for me for the Eagles, they because they didn't play that well either, Eric. Oh, they they did not play well at all. They they benefited from the back to back turnovers on back to back plays that resulted in touchdowns for them. Yeah, they got gifted some freebies. Um, in terms of the Eagles, like I missed the number. I don't want to trust the Eagles laying this big of a number. I'm getting over a touchdown with the bikes. Obviously, there's the worry with Kirk Cousins in a primetime game historically this defense. Yep, he does struggle. We need to remember last year, they won week one last year. And then they came in to that primetime game. I believe the line was like three. It was, I think it was less than that even because I I punched it early in the week. It was like Philly minus two, I think. And I think it stayed under three because the Vikings were kind of a hot, buzzy team early in the year. 
And it was like, and they just beat the crap out of him. I mean, it wasn't wasn't even close. Um, oh, I'm going to attack this team. Uh, I am going to look at player props. The two guys that I want to kind of look at is the first guy I want to look at is TJ Hawkinson. The tight ends, Gasecki had three for 36. Henry had five for 56. Hawk, Hawk was the second in targets. Really, the, op- the open part of the field is really open against the Eagles. I'm looking at the props right now. 49 and a half are in the market. I'm going to look at Hawkinson over 49 and a half yards receiving. Then it comes down to, I don't, I want to attack it. We talked about it when we did the preview of the NFC North attacking this Viking secondary because Flores likes to blitz and that leaves these DBs on an island. AJ Brown's prop is at 74 for receiving yards. That's a little too juicy for me. That's a little too much. Devontae Adams is only at 62. Devontae Smith, sorry. Devontae Smith, I'm looking at it right now. Um, Geez, 62 and a half. So I'm going to be looking at Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, Jesus. Devontae Smith, I'll be looking at that over 62 and a half yards receiving. Both guys got targeted seven times. Or both guys got targeted ten times. Both had seven catches. So this – you know, and when you dive into a lot of the numbers, there's it's been more of like a one one a between those two split, be, be, like as much as they are targeted. I think Brown gets it a little more consistently, and Smith had a couple bigger games last year, so and it kind of evened out to to pretty similar. Um, yeah, a few things to mention. Uh, Addison looked okay, caught four or six targets. Two of them went for first downs. One was a touchdown. Shout out to the uh, the USC boy. Um, now. For the Eagles, defense forced two turnovers. They had, at one point, three straight, uh, I believe they had at one point, three straight, four straight three and outs. That only happened to them one time last year in a game where they went three and out four times, and that was the game where they started against the Saints with Minshew. Not even a game with Hurts. What we're seeing, Eric, is even a team like Philly, they're not as sharp because they're playing less in the preseason. Right. And, yeah, and that was and something I, that they mentioned. Like I, a lot. I mentioned it, like quarterbacks were one and six. It, yep. yes, it didn't play the preseason. All these guys, and they looked like it. You could just tell they weren't on, they weren't sharp. Um, and so you combine the fact that the Eagles didn't play a lot in the preseason and that the Patriots it, have a tough defense and they're a tough place to play. Like all those things, you put those all together. Uh, the Eagles had to settle for a short touchdown, four different field goals. They only scored one or few offensive touchdowns once last year, and that's what yep. they had here. Uh, they didn't even take very many deep shots. They only had one pass play for more than 15 yards. They only rushed for 3.9 yards per attempt on 25 carries. They only had 250 total yards, 251, you know, because the way the game was shifting, they needed to be uh, – the way the game was shifting, they – the, you know, they got, they didn't get as many possessions because they got those turnovers real quick. So it was sort of weird. Like they'll take the victory and get off the field. Their defense had 20 quarterback pressures, but they were four of 13 on third down. They only had two drives that made it to the red zone. Uh, Carter looked really good though. Gainwell was actually running back one, but he's going to be out Eric um, in this game. 
And just another one thing to mention, Hertz did struggle a little bit against the Blitz last year. If they can maybe throw some different looks at him with pressure with Flores, maybe they could still get him, you know, uncomfortable early in this year. That offensive line did struggle a little bit. Pressure would, uh, Hertz was pressured 19 times and sacked three times there by a good Patriots D line. Anything else on uh, Vikings Eagles? I uh, don't. Yeah, oh, I mean, 12 and 17 primetime games, ATS. At under seven, I'd lean Eagles. I have to make a picks a pick for every game in a contest I'm in. So I I would do that, but I wouldn't be necessarily running to go lay it. If you're just looking for something to play, maybe you wait and you can get a little bit better, even if the, the Vikes score early in that one. We go to the Ravens and the Bengals. We have a, a divisional game to uh teams that come off of different results in week one. So the Bengals are a three-point favorite in here. And it's uh, kind of hard, Eric, to look really take a whole lot out of that week one game because Burrow had the lowest yards per attempt in a season opener since Vince Ferragamo in 1984. He had 84 yards passing. He was 0 for 8 when targeting Higgins. He finished 14 of 31, and he had a negative 13.9 completion percentage over expectation. That was the worst of his career. He was 1 of 9 for uh, 10 yards on passes of 10 plus yards. And he finished two of 14 on third down before being pulled another year where the offense has a slow start. They had 142 total yards. They had to punt seven times in the first half and 10 times overall in the game. They got the crap beat out of them. They really weren't ready to play. And the weather was bad too. That's another factor to point out. It wasn't like they were going to be throwing the ball a whole lot. Cleveland wasn't able to really do that either because of the weather. You had Baltimore. They won, but they didn't look fantastic. As you pointed out, the Texans were in that game. Lamar looked a little rusty. He fumbled twice. He had an interception in the first half. Um, New offensive coordinator, new pieces. They had less than 270 total yards. Uh, They did get a little better in the second half. Flowers looked really good. Nine catches, 78 yards, couple run plays. He had 54 receiving yards after the catch. Um, that was 69.2%. Um, that's the most by a rookie in any game in the last two years as far as yards after the catch. But for the Ravens, what I'm a little worried about, Eric, Dobbins, torn Achilles, done for the year. Lindebaum left during the game with an injury. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, injured. Marcus Williams, injured. Humphrey also got hurt. Maybe he plays this week. They're already really banged up on the offensive line and in some spots on the defense. Yeah, I talked about it last night on my stream. Um, Something in the water over there, huh? I'm sorry? Something's in the water over there in the drinking fountain or something? It's weird. Like Usually it's just one team has injury luck. It just seems year after year they have all these injuries. And it's kind of bad and in this game i actually took the Bengals. i got it at the three i'd shop around some shops have it at three and a half here on drf you can still get it at the three we have to look at it like this you mentioned tyler linderbaum and ronnie staley their reality of the situation they're going to be out plus they lost powers so essentially they're going into the game without three starting linemen from last season they played a texans team I wasn't that impressed. I thought the Ravens offense. Was oh, no, they didn't look very good at all. The Texans should have covered that game if they could do Lamar anything. Lamar looked offense. like a guy who was rusty 
he was he holding throw. the he ball. He can't throw to the outside. He's bottom third in the league throwing to the outside hashes. And every single year since he's got since he's gotten in the league, his percentage throwing in between the numbers has gotten worse. Balls were sailing. They were floating. Even that deep pass to Flowers, it wasn't Chris. It was a floating pass. It wasn't a great pass. I wasn't that impressed by all. So Now, I'll mention something they will have most likely have Andrews back, right? So that will help yeah, them. Andrews That'll help them a little bit, at least give him a target that he's familiar with. I, a- my thing is I look at it like this. I'm going against a line where now I'm facing DJ reader elite against the run. One of the better run stoppers in the league. I'm not going to have three offensive linemen that I had last year. I have Hendrick. That's going to be able to get to the quarterback. We don't know what's going on with Humphreys. Marcus Williams is out. And I'm facing Jameer Chase, who averages 7.5 receptions, 115 yards, 115 and a half yards per game against the Ravens. Burrow missed the preseason. We've talked about this before. These quarterbacks that don't play in the preseason, they're sloppy in game one. This is going to be a great bounce back. And the Browns are tough. The Brown, the the my number one takeaway from week one is the Browns offensive line is legitimately sorry, defensive line, is two times better than I thought it was. Very, very good. Putting whatever Smith along with Garrett, I mean, it's insane now. And they're rolling Garrett all over the place. That defensive line, that was the difference in the game. That Browns defensive line is legit nasty. It was a very bad matchup for the Bengals, and they looked exploited. And And, and they've done – and it's funny, it's been – it's been a bad matchup for them ever since Burrow's been there. What are they, one and six now in their last yeah. seven games against the Browns? It's just a bad matchup. I and could we talk see about buying low, selling high. Since 2016, teams that lost by double digits playing a team that didn't lose by double digits are 67% ATS. This is just based on the market just being over. Overly ups, not what it was. Ne- a little bit was. negative because we saw Cincinnati look so bad. That's all. Yeah, we saw them look so bad. Anything under three front, and a half, you got to stick. I think Cincinnati. the front's going to be able to create pressure. I look. I like the Bengals here. I bet my money on the Bengals. I'm I'm riding with it. Yeah. Um. Any anything three under? I'm on the Bengals. And I'm going to say this too. I gave this one out. You have to if you like the Bengals in this game. Take the Ravens at plus 160 not to make the playoffs. Couple um DFS looks I might have in this game. One, Higgins, he was targeted 10 times. He was 0 for 8. That was like historic. I can imagine they're gonna just try to get him some easy touches and to get a couple balls in his hand early. Chase, another one. He called the Browns elves. And then after the game, it was so funny. He said. I can't believe we lost. I called them elves and we lost to a bunch of elves. He doubled down on it, but it was funny. Like the way he said it, he said, I called them elves and we lost to elves, but they punched them right in the mouth. The I'm, one looking I could- at, I'm looking at parlayplay.io right now. Sponsor of the show. Gino and I do every Sunday. What's morning. the promo code we need to use on that one, Eric? Uh, NFL betting blitz. Uh, the link to that is on my link tree page um, and it'll be on the stream link that you and I do. And you can use that promo code T Higgins. His prop is 59 and a half. Yeah. I go, I go, 
I go over there and uh, I actually think for if you're a fantasy owner of Lamar, I think that the next couple games could be good games for him because I could see him now doing what he's had to do in some of the past, the past years, which is good for a short sample size for him fantasy wise, but I don't think it's good for their team. Like he's not going to be good with the less offensive linemen, but it might force him to run more, you know, and you may get a little bit more of that running from him if he's forced out of it because he doesn't have a whole lot of time. I don't know if he's going to complete a whole lot of passes this week, but I could see because he had such a bad week last week, him try to run a little bit more because he has to, but then what ends up happening, that's how he gets hurt a little bit more. And that's what's happened the last couple of years where he's tried to do too much and he's taken a little bit too much on his shoulder. So yeah, the injuries are not great for them coming into this one, but uh, flowers look very good. Let's see if they can get the ball in his hands a little bit more. This might be one of our five on the week, Eric at uh, the Bengals minus the three. Let's keep going. We'll go to Bears at the Bucks. How about my guy Baker, Eric? Cooking some things up over there. Uh, and all joking aside, Baker Mayfield was graded quarterback number five on the week by Pro Football Focus as far as passing grade and overall grade. Um, on their first six drives, Tampa had 29 total yards. Then... Baker finished 21 of 34, 173 yards, two touchdowns, and he had a couple big runs in the game. What was key, they scored on three of their final four drives down the stretch. They had a nine-minute drive to start the third quarter, which seemed to really take a lot out of the Vikings' defense. So some positives for them. They got the win. Negative, they still cannot run the ball at all. They only ran for 76 yards. They were historically bad rushing team last year. The Bears... One of the most disappointing teams in week one, I'd say. Not even that they lost, just the offense looked so bad. There looked like there was no creativity. All the stuff we heard about in the offseason about fields looking better, throwing the ball down the field. He's got new weapons. We didn't see any of that. All of their offense was like scrambles from fields. Um, they were 3 of 13 on third down. The play calling was really predictable. Screens, scrambles, they didn't attack much at all. Then on the defensive side, they allowed Green Bay to get to 38 points. That was the highest total that any team scored in week one. A Green Bay team with a quarterback that was making his like first true start, and they were missing their number one wide receiver, and they had a bunch of new pieces there. And that team still looked like a pretty fluid team against your defense. Justin Fields, through 26 games, is 5-21, and 21, which is tied for the second-worst record all-time for a starting quarterback through 26 games. He had 59 yards rushing, which led the Bears. He's been their leading rusher 10 of the last 12 games. Two things that really stood out to me in re-watching the game, Eric. The offensive line was absolutely putrid. They were miserable. And number two, I don't know if you've seen some of these clips floating around on social media. Um, Claypool is literally walking out there on the field. He's absolutely going through the motions. Like, he's going to get one of his teammates hurt. He's not blocking. He's not giving an effort at all. You watch his routes. He's like, it is, it's like a kid sulking. I, I, I didn't notice it until somebody had pointed it out and showed the film on it. And I think Kyle Brandt had mentioned it. And then I saw a big thread of people pointing out plays of his over the last couple of years where he's done this and he's dogged it. 
And man, I would not be shocked if he's out of that rotation soon and you get someone else there uh, able to catch the ball because you just don't see that kind of effort in week one from teams usually early when you're not down that much. And I was, I was really disappointed in them and just, you know, their over under may have been a tad high at seven and a half after we talked more and more about them. But I just thought they would look more spirited, look a little bit better. That just was a really disappointing effort from them. But what do we do now? Week two, how do we take it coming into this game? Defense is historically bad. I mean, defense is awful. Just absolutely awful. And it's hard to trust a team because of that. Now, granted, look, did the Bucks have some stuff go their way? They did. Yep. But do you trust the Bears' offensive line? I don't know. I don't. Bears' defense. It's a high school defense. It's legitimately Secondary. Yeah. defense they have. Who on that defense is going to be able to stop Evans, Godwin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, will Fields be able to take advantage of the issues that the Bucks have defensively? Like, literally, if he doesn't throw for 250 yards, there should be some serious concerns in Chicago. Next, there's this trend. The Bears, lo- the Bears lost by over double digits, right? Yep. There's that trend that supports them. Plus, there's a, there's a thing where if a team lost by over double digits, that's uh, they're on the road. It's the trend's like 24 and one. So the trends are saying take the Bears. But I'll be honest, I from what I saw defensively, you mentioned Claypool. What I saw from him, I just don't. I can't get there, and I don't I, think I, there's I, value I, in the number cooler. either. Like if Jenkins it was three and a half, yeah, over over a field goal, we could start to talk. But right now, the number we're looking at at DRF Sportsbook at plus two and a half. No, thank you. And That's plus, just- there's possible rain. There could be rain in the forecast. If rain's in the forecast, you know, then you got fields that will be running around. You have the bucks that can't run. Like, and I think you know there I mean? is a like, little. There's a little something with Tampa as a team that has a lot of guys in the locker room that have won games for them the last couple of years and that are still quite a quality. They're not like they're overall, their roster is not great, but you get a guy like Baker in there to start and it helps them win a couple of games. And he dives for a few, for a few first downs. This team starts believing. And all of a sudden you look at Tampa and they got, you know, six games ahead with teams in their division that aren't that great. You know, like they win a couple games and they start to feel like, hey, we've got some better players than the guys lined up against us across the uh, across the other side. So and yeah, I know I'm... some smart people that took some futures on the Bucks. So yeah, I don't know. This is just a stay away. You know, I'm I'm content with just staying away. I have way too many bets going on, and you know, don't I need to force that one. Don't need to force. I'll stay away and just roll. We go to the Packers and the Falcons. So Atlanta win. Both these teams come off of a win week one. Green Bay is a one point favorite here on the road over under in this game. 40.5 for the Packers. Love looked very good. He was seven of nine for 105 yards and a touchdown on third down. Led an opening drive touchdown, five scoring drives throughout the game. He was awesome on third and fourth downs. Eight of 10, 141 yards, two touchdowns, much better in the second half. They were really good on third down as a team. Eric told all of you that Aaron Jones was a play last week in DFS. He was awesome. I think he had like 25 points or so in fantasy. Uh, And then he had a hamstring injury. He could have had even more. He had 86 receiving yards. 
They won total yards and yards per play against the Bears team that we just talked about, did the the Packers. They scored all three times in the red zone. The defense was strong. It was much more aggressive, much more like man-to-man than the zone they had been playing uh, that a lot of their defensive players didn't like. Now, on the Falcon side, they won. I was was wondering, because it was just week one, and, and I was high on this team, and so are you. Did they keep it very close to the vest because it was week one and they don't want to give anything away? Or is this just what they're going to do all year? Because they could get to like seven or eight wins if they do that, but I don't think they're going to be able to beat some of these better teams if they're not trying to throw the ball down the field at all. I mean, they didn't even attempt passes at all. The kid gloves were on Ritter. He had under 100 100 yards passing with five minutes left to go in the game. London had no catches. Pitts had two. One of them was like an awesome catch that he sort of adjusted to make. They only had 221 yards of total offense. Kind of reminded me of the Philly uh, Patriots game. Like they didn't need to do a lot more than that. But when they got the ball, it was pretty vanilla. Um, This did not ask much of Ritter. He only had three incompletions, but he graded 26 out of 37 quarterbacks that got graded on the week. They did win yards per play or over Carolina. Uh, and the rookie, Bijan, looked very good. 83 total yards and a touchdown. First three quarters, he played 26 of 33 snaps. Late in the game, they leaned more on Algier to run the clock out. But you spend high draft picks on Bijan, London, and Pitts, and you don't use them as much as you should. It feels like a little weird. Is it that just week one? I hope they get a little bit better. Um, at that and more creative because they may have to against a team like Green Bay. Uh, what was great for them, though, Eric, the defense, they the free agency ad, Bates, two interceptions, and that led to 10 Falcons points. He forced a fumble that led to another score. They scored 17 points off three turnovers they got from Carolina. One of them was a, a 17-yard touchdown. That's all they needed to go was 17 yards, and they got a big stop on a fourth down inside the red zone, interception inside the Carolina 20, Touchdowns on all three red zones, but some concerns on the offense. I'm playing Atlanta in here. I like them, and I think this could be a little bit of the overreaction from week one where people saw Green Bay and were kind of high on them. I think Atlanta getting plus money here is the play for me. I would take Atlanta even up at Atlanta minus one or two in this spot. Um, For me, I took the Falcons. Um, Look, I I just played the money line. It was even money. I played it like that. Packers, we're at this point right now where the Packers good or the Bears defense just bad. That's where we're at. Aaron Jones has his hamstring injury. I know the Florida's presser said he could play. Soft tissue injury. I would guess if he does play, he's going to be on a snap count. I think the Falcons kind of showed us who they are. They're going to lean on this run game to start the season until Ritter gets a little bit more comfortable. And they're going to lean on this defense. Keep some mistake prone. Yeah. They're not going to put Ritter in a situation where he can fail. They're going to lean on what they do best, good defense, good run game. But historically, this, excuse me, Packers defense has been bad at what? Stopping Stopping the run. run. Now you're going against a team that arguably has the best rushing attack. in And a fantastic offensive line after you played a team with one of the worst offensive lines in the league. I think, to me, this is Falcons. I'll take the Falcons here plus the points. Um, And the thing is this, like you have to look at your survivor rules. Some survivors, you got to kind of play it out. 
maybe this is a good week to kind of take the Falcons who are a little bit under the radar. You know, I, there's, there's a big spread with the bills Raiders game. Maybe you want to save the bills for later on in the year. You know what I mean? You kind of have to yeah. start planning that. I think they could be a little, a sneaky team here. Kind of sneak in. Let's go Colts at Texans. Colts are actually favored by a point on the road in here over under 39 Richardson looked a little banged up late. Uh, did not take the final few snaps. He he is healthy, though. I don't think he has a des- designation coming into the game. He looked exactly, I think, like what we would have expected from him. Impressive in spots. Good with the design run. He had 40 rushing yards, 10 carries. Youngest player in the Super Bowl era to have a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown in the same game. He's only 21 years old and 111 days. But they went one of five on fourth down. Couldn't score more than the one touchdown on three trips to the red zone. I think it was what we would expect from him. He had trouble on deeper passes when he had to go through his progressions, stuff that was like mapped out and really well, uh, really well drawn out uh, plays. He was fine on those. On the opposite side, you had Stroud for the Texans who looked, uh, excuse me, you had uh, um, Stroud on the Texans who looked okay. Offense struggled early in the game. They used all three first half timeouts with eight minutes to go. And that hurt them when they needed to score later in the half. They had a weird play call also on a fourth and one on their first drive. And just thought it was weird, but the offensive line, they struggled to keep him protected. He was sacked five times with Stroud. He still completed 28 of 44 passes. And they were only down seven to six at halftime. Defense played well, four total sacks, Forced two turnovers of Lamar, held Baltimore to less than 270 yards of total offense, but they got stopped twice on fourth and one and three times overall on fourth down. They actually had more total yards than Baltimore, but the tur- the two turnovers and failing on four three times hurt them. Eric, I'm just going to take the home slight dog here in this situation. I don't know if the Colts should be laying any points on the road in here. I feel like the te- the Texans should be getting that traditional maybe home point like home field advantage. I thought their defense was pretty good. I think with Ryan's, it's going to be really improved. And I feel like offensively, they'll be a little bit better and throw, be able to throw the ball against Indy. Indy's secondary is not good. Their defensive front is good. Uh, give me the Texans in here at the plus money on the money line. Yeah, I took the Texans here plus the one and a half. I look at it as kind of simple. Out of the four units, offense, defense of the Texans and the Colts, who is the best unit? In my eyes, it was the Texans. Defense. It Texans defense. Close. Yep. If you get anything from Stroud, you know, I think that they're going to be able to win this game. You was was um Richardson impressive. Yeah, but it was against a defensive front that had some issues. They can't really expose um was it they can't really get to the quarterback. And when you look at his you look at his spray chart, he literally only threw to one side of the field. Like literally only threw to one side of the field. You're telling me that I'm looking at my internet right now and I can see that and the Texans coaching staff doesn't see that and recognize that they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to make the young kid very uncomfortable. First road start Stroud starting at home, better defensive line against an offensive line that has some issues. I just, I, I like the Texans here. I'll take the Texans here. Plus the point point and a half, just in case something funky happens at the end and go from, go from there. Um, I was high on the Texans to start. I think that's going to be continuing. And I think the main thing is what did the Colts do to be deserving to be, to be l- laying any off. points at all, Roan favorites at all here. So 
No, I'll take I'll take the small dog. Let's move to a playoff rematch of last year. The Chiefs get a couple extra days after they open the season on Thursday. I think they'll have both Kelsey and uh, Jones back. Jones signed 100%. It's, and Jones uh, has a few days to be playing now. And diving into their game was a little bit of an unlucky loss for them. They were without those two players. Tony had three drops that were bad. One of them became a pick six. As a team overall, they had five drops. They did have 11 different players catch a pass. There were this. I thought this stat was kind of interesting. They had nine different plays in when they only needed two yards to get a new set of downs, and they could only convert three of those times. Three out of the nine. Um, you just got to get a couple yards, and they couldn't do it. They didn't have Kelsey, like their big target or someone comfortable, familiar with. On the other side, the Jags. Ridley looked pretty good playing his first game in 686 days. Eight catches for 101 yards. Really nice touchdown grabs. Defense made some plays when they needed with four sacks. They won total yards and yards per play. Uh, They were terrible on third down, just 25%. But the Colts were even worse, only 17%. Three for three scoring touchdowns in the red zone. This game was a little bit closer than it looked because of the way that late uh, turnover flipped the game. You do have an injury to the right guard. So think about that now. We already had some concerns about their offensive line. It could be depleted, and now they do have Jones back to deal with for Kansas City. The offensive line wasn't playing all that well, um, and this team had trouble with some ball security. They fumbled three times on the day. I'm just not sure about the number in here. I think Kansas City will play well in here. I just I don't know if I want to lay the three and a half on the road. I'm not really high on the Jags off that game or off the season. Um, I'm, I'm probably staying away from this one, Eric. How about you? Open up a two and a half. I don't like laying points on the road. Um, Mahomes, as these low numbers historically, does cover. Um, also, getting Jones back, that's going to help. The defense against the Lions did look pretty good, even though Jones didn't play, obviously. Kelsey still, I don't know exactly what he's going to do. As From what I'm hearing, they're leaning toward no just to kind of save them. For later in the year, um, I I wouldn't do anything. Like it just doesn't make sense to force a bet. No, the number feels kind of accurate. They're kind of trying to bait you here to take Jacksonville at home plus the three and a half. I could see Kansas City coming out and laying the wood in this one. I really could, but I I don't like you said. I've got five, six plus other spots that I like confidently more, including the next game on the board as we talk about the Chargers at the Titans. Um, Chargers. Okay, how crazy is this? The DVOA metrics that we'll uh, we look at, we'll mention. They're obviously much better as you get a little later into the year, where you have more sample size. But the Chargers and Miami, after Week One, they had the number one and two offenses in DVOA because of how good their offenses were. Um, Miami is number seven in overall DVOA. And they had the number one offense and the number 31 defense. The Chargers, who had the number two offense and the number 32 defense, they're all the way down at 27. That is how bad their defense was. That game that they had was historically miserable for a defense. It was unbelievable. They allowed 536 total yards, 8.2 yards per play. The Dolphins ran 65 plays and gained 30 first downs. I mean, it was the most nuts. The thing that just stood out to me was this. 
no Armstead and two heads was sacked zero times. To me, that's all that's all the defensive stats I need to read with yep. with the Chargers. They ran uh, for 235 yards and lost. It was tied for the most rushing yards ever in, in Chargers franchise history. They had a 70% rushing success rate. That was the highest rushing success rate that any team has had in a game over the last two years, and they still lost. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. And, and it was funny oh, for them, it, but it was, it was funny. You're exactly right. The way they lost was the same, but on the field, they actually were fine against the run. They were terrible against the pass, and they've been the opposite the last few years. They've been a team that anyone could run on. Hill went absolutely nuts. They only put pressure on Tua, as you mentioned, on 17% of dropbacks, even with a, a bad offensive line. They had a dumb penalty at the end of the first half where the DB tackled a Dolphins wide receiver. That's just coaching stuff now, and you start to worry about Staley. They get the ball back down two with two timeouts and like two minutes to go, and they can't move the ball at all. First and 10, intentional grounding penalty. Second and 20, they get sacked for a loss of eight because of no blocking. Third and 28, a 17-yard completion. And then fourth and 12, a game-ending sack. That was a little worrisome. Then on the flip side, you've got the Titans. That was one of the worst should-have-win games that I can remember. Tannehill was awful. He missed this wide-open pass to Okanagua. That would have been a touchdown. He completed only 16 of 34. He threw three interceptions, twice on targets that were uh, to Hopkins, where he was badly trying to force it there. Uh, he had two bad misses on what could have been huge plays, Eric. I mean, he was the difference between winning and losing. His best play of the day was a screen pass to Henry, who went 46 yeah. yards. Of all the quarterbacks that played in week one, Tannehill had the third the third worst EPA per dropback. His completion percentage was 10% below expectation. He was pressured on 40% of his dropbacks. They were 0 of 3 in the red zone. They had to kick five field goals, and they were only 17% on third downs. They had eight total field goals in that game against the Saints. It was the most in week one history. I do like a sneaky DFS play uh, is the tight end, Okonkwo. I, I mentioned he was wide open down the sideline for what would have been a huge touchdown. He was badly overthrown. He was on the field on 95.6% of their offensive snaps in 12 and 21 per, uh, personnel. He was the clear majority in 11 personnel. Only time he was off the field was in a couple early down run plays. Um, and the Saints were really good at preventing fantasy points to tight ends last year. They were actually the best. So maybe someone to take a, a flyer on this week in a couple uh, DFS lineups. He'll probably be pretty cheap. Talk to us about this one, Eric. I like the Titans at three or above. Yeah, I took the Titans here. Um, you know, I'm looking at parlay play. They don't have any numbers listed for the tight end. Um, Vrabel, 24, 15, and one, 61.5% ATS, ATS as a dog. When getting three points or more, 23, 9, and one, that is 71.9%. I'm getting the better coach at home. And I'm getting points. And just to kind of illustrate the coaching of the Chargers, we all know second half is about adjustments. And let's just look at Justin Herbert, ATS for the second half, 15, 30, and 5. That is his number in the second half. That just shows me lack of second half adjustments. They're not make it's just a poorly coached team. And I don't think they're going to be able to stop the run. They get stop the run. 
of Derrick Henry and Spears. I don't think they're going to be able to create pressure to make Henry, sorry, to make Tannehill uncomfortable. They're going to get the run going with Henry and Spears, which is going to open up the play action pass game. I'm getting the better dog, the better coach team at home, getting the three. And we've seen this before mentioned in the Burrow game. Tannehill didn't play the preseason. You know, he has that game under its system. Going to be right. I just, I just expect the bounce back from him. Me too. I'll, I'll take it. Uh, Chargers have all the talent in the world, but it's just not clicking with what they have going on there. No. Next game, um, I, I'm going to stay away from this game from just playing a side here. We've got the Bills as a nine-point favorite against the Raiders. For the Bills, just one thing to point out for them. The last 19 games for Josh Allen. This was a Nick Wright stat. I don't always love what Nick Wright says, but he just pointed out the stat, and it's a it's a fact. 20 interceptions in the last 19 games and 17 fumbles. 37 times the ball's been out of his hands in the last 19 games. It's two a game. I, I'm just, it's really hard. I mean, even in like this, it's it's tough to cover a big spread like this when you're turning the ball over all, all the time. Now, the Raiders... I don't like them in these kind of situations where they travel and have to go on the road to the East coast like this. They're never very good, but Jimmy G damn man, 41 and 17 as a starter. He had the 12th fourth quarter comeback of his career. Jimmy G was one of the best quarterbacks of the week based on like a lot of advanced metrics, like D Y A R. And like a, a lot of them, he had a bad fumble on first and goal from the one, but he, he fell on the ball three plays later. He threw an interception. But other than that, he targeted Myers 10 times, Adams 9 times. The final drive, he completes four passes. Uh, He goes 60 yards passing, leads a 75-yard scoring drive to go ahead. He had four passes down the field that were 10 yards or more on that drive. EPA per dropback was excellent, very efficient. Number one ranked quarterback of the week on EPA plus completion percentage over expectations. They even committed... 10 penalties, six of them gave Denver an automatic first down. Two of them gave Denver, uh, you know, um, or excuse me, six of them gave automatic first downs to Denver. Uh, Two of them were on fourth downs. They held Denver to only 16 points, but the Broncos missed a field goal, missed an extra point, and the Broncos went for an onside kick to start the game, which gave Denver, which gave the Raiders an extra possession. Uh, Only 71 total yards for Jacobs, though. He got shut down just 2.5 yards per carry. Any thoughts on um, this one? What, Raiders, what, Bills. What was, the, what was the Nick Wright stat? That uh, Allen in his last 30, uh, last 19 games, 20 interceptions, 17 fumbles. So he had three interceptions. I mean, like, I'm just looking at the game log right now. I'm kind of going to take it with a grain of salt. He had that elbow injury. Yeah. Against the Jets. After that elbow injury, two, four, five, seven, eight, ten, eleven. So a lot of them came when he was banged up. 11, you know what I mean? So I yeah, mean, so it's tough. To me, like, you kind of got to take that with it because he had a legit elbow injury and his wheels fell off last year. I w- The Jets' defense is just built to stop Josh Allen. I would not – in me, the absolute hammer play in DFS this week is Josh Allen. I expect an absolute huge bounce back for him. He's one of the better quarterbacks – we see these quarterbacks, we've talked about it before, when they get these big numbers, not covering. He covers at home when he has these absurd numbers over a tutty. 
So I like the Bills here. I I mean, I don't know. The Raiders are a weird team. The like the Raiders are a sneaky public team. Number always gets bet down. Look, if I can get the Bills, Bills are going to be a team I kind of look at maybe to bet live if it if gets they, down, especially to seven, if the Raiders score, yeah, seven. Um, but to me, I wasn't that impressed with anything, so I'll I'll, I'll go there. One of the most disappointing teams in week one was Seattle. They're going to be headed to Detroit, play the Lions, who beat the Chiefs. Lions defensively were very impressive. They held the Chiefs to 2.6 yards per carry on the non-Mahomes runs. Rookie defensive back Branch was excellent in the slot. He returned an interception for a touchdown, was targeted three times in coverage, only one reception for three yards, had a couple of tackles and defensive stops. The offense, you know, they couldn't score a lot, but – in the advanced metrics, they were actually decent. They were one of a, a few teams with a positive EPA per play. I think Detroit was actually uh, like eighth. And so the metrics weren't bad on, on some of the advanced metrics. Um, they just couldn't score probably as much as they would have liked. But Goff has now gone 359 straight passes without an interception. Third longest streak ever behind Brady and Rodgers. Hutchinson. Great start to year two, career high, six pressures in that game. That was the most by a Lions player since the start of 2020. Seattle was up 13-7 at the half. In the second half, they did not have one drive that went more than 10 yards. The Rams beat the absolute crap out of them. I loved seeing it. I did not think it was going to happen. You kind of called this, Eric. Seattle had 12 total yards in the second half. They did not get the 200 total yards in the game. And the Rams had 426 total yards 300 yards in the second half alone. Seattle gave up 5.5 yards per play and allowed the Rams to convert 65% of their third downs, score touchdowns all three times the Rams were in the red zone. Geno Smith had the fifth lowest air yards of the week. Their offense didn't look good. Their defense was bad. The offensive line was bad. They looked like one of the most disappointing teams of week one. Um, I don't know what to do really in here. This number seems accurate maybe a touch high on the Lions side but I I don't really have a strong opinion to play this one Eric I I took the six I mean as soon as this got to six I took you took Seattle plus the six Pete Carroll as a dog is 47 31 and three that's 63.3 percent ATS Carroll after losing by a touchdown or more 57.9 percent ATS I mentioned the stat since 2016 a team that lost by double digits playing a team that didn't lose by double digits, 67% ATS when they're on the road, that's 24 and one. Uh, Let's look at the lions game. Look, I'm a lions fan. I'm rocking my lions hat right now when we're recording, there was no Chris Jones on the offensive line, which helped the pass pro, which helped the lions be able to run the ball flip side. No Travis Kelsey, which is absolutely huge because he's so efficient on the third down stuff with them moving the ball. Plus, Tony drops passes. If Tony catches those balls and the Chiefs end up winning that game and the Lions lose this game and the Seahawks get this is a a three-point spread. So, look, I'm going to take – I have three points of value. So, the look ahead, this was two and a half. I'm getting value on the Seahawks. I'm going to take it. You'll have a big uh, survivor play this week for a lot of folks with the Giants heading to play Arizona. They're a five and a half point favorite on the road after they just got destroyed 
on Sunday night football. Really tough to take anything out of that game because they got killed everywhere. De- offensively, they couldn't move the ball at all because Dallas's defensive line was so good. You're not going to get that from Arizona. Uh, but Arizona's defense actually played pretty well. They had six sacks. Five different players had a sack. Two fumble recoveries. They had an interception and seven passes defended. They ran a fumble back for a touchdown. Their lone touchdown came from the defense. They were up by three at half. Offense struggled for them as expected, though. Starting quarterback Dobbs has only been around for a few weeks for them. They went 4 of 14 on third down. Then you have the Giants, who could not have been worse, gave up a special teams touchdown on a blocked field goal that got returned, gave up a pick six, couldn't block anything, gave up seven sacks, couldn't run the ball. I don't want to lay this number with the Giants. I do think they will have to feel like they have to play a lot better this week. Um, I, this is just a real stay away for me, Eric. 100% stay away. I will say this, though. You know, you have the 10-point dog, dog trend that I mentioned earlier. Teams that lost by 35% or more are 61% ATS. If Howell doesn't make that late turnover, look, boom. This game, that, that game's not as close as it was. That led to a touchdown. I think this is a nice get, get rock right spot for the Giants. I think you can look to play Saquon Barkley. I think that's another guy you can kind of look at because this is going to be probably the lowest ownership Barkley and Allen are going to be for a while. So I look at that, but five and a half, a little too juicy for my blood. Now, a couple of these last games we might go through real quick or uh, speed through. Just keep and remember uh, that Eric and I, We'll also have a show together on Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time called The Winning Ticket on DRF Sportsbook, where we give out a couple of our best bets for college football for Saturday and then best bets for Sunday. Then Sunday morning, Eric and I have NFL Betting Blitz, 11 a.m. Eastern time. That'll be every Sunday, and it'll be like an hour show where we give you all of the last-minute up-to-date info on all the teams, injury info. We'll know the last the numbers. We'll talk DFS there, too, so... Um, we'll be able to spend maybe a little more time on some of these games that we just spend a, a couple minutes on here. This is an interesting one, Eric, uh, as we go 49ers and at the Rams. So the 49ers are an eight-point favorite on the road. They kicked the crap out of the Steelers. Purdy was good. Uh, it was ranked number nine of the week in pro football focus. Led scoring drives on four straight drives. He was pressured on 44% of dropbacks. Was the sixth best EPA. McCaffrey had 152 yards rushing, 22 carries. He had a 65-yard touchdown run. Ayuk was awesome. Eight catches on eight targets for 129 yards and two touchdowns. I was wait. I mean, I don't. I'm not surprised to see the 49ers play well. I was more surprised at how inept the uh, the Steelers were in that as game. As soon as Hayward went out, though, they were just able it was to done. Run. And as they soon as I really, I th- as soon as as a gambler, if you're watching that game and you bet Pitt, the moment Deontay Johns- Johnson slips and the ball is thrown right into the defender's hands of the 49ers, you just knew the game was – it wasn't and your game. We should have hit that plus 300 prop. Small hands, like he was I wide know. open going – and I mean – I know. As much as everyone was giving me shit, oh, dude, you're wrong about Kenny Pickett. I'm going to be doing my victory he, lap about yeah, Kenny Pickett. he looked soon. really bad. And again, we don't want to necessarily overreact to the one, but because San Francisco's defense is probably one of the better ones – they looked really out of whack. He and he missed some wide open throws because he was under pressure and feeling rattled, and it was just miserable all over from the the Steelers. Now on the Rams side, Puka Nakua 
targeted 15 times, 10 catches for 119 yards. Stafford was awesome, dude. This was your lion Stafford, 334 yards passing connected really well with the two young receivers, five different players caught passes. Four of them caught a pass for at least 20 yards. He completed seven first down conversions on the 12 uh, third down passes that he had. The defense looked motivated. They did not allow one drive more than 10 yards in the second half, 300 yards of offense themselves in the second half. They won total yardage 426 to 180. They crushed in yards per play. Awesome in the red zone. Kyron Williams got all the running back work. Akers had 22 carries, but only 29 yards. Um, He had eight carries in the last four minutes of the game, running out the clock too. And he lost yardage on five carries. He was stuffed at the line five times and he only got one yard, four more. So 14 of his carries were for one yard or less. Um, Uh, I tried to warn everyone about Cam. You did. You did. You told me the Rammies were going to be better. The offensive line, they were really bad last year and they were really banged up. They gave up no sacks this year to Seattle in week one. Uh, They did commit overall as a team seven penalties, which is no surprise because they have a lot of young guys on their team, Eric. But I don't know if the Rams are going to be a good team. Once we got over seven and a half, though, I think the only side you can be on here would be the Rams at like plus eight, right? I mean, come on. You know what we're going to do here. Yeah. Home divisional dogs. Absolutely. You know, 55% ATS. Got to be on the Rams. Seven-point favorite or more in his career, 43.8%. Look, I'm not going to say that the Rams could win the game, but I think this number is a little bit too much. I think people are buying into the San Francisco hype. Purdy played absolutely flawless. Rams' defense is better than I think people realize. I think they're going to have be able to have some success. I... I, I like him here. I think, yeah. um, I think the, the, the number, it's just a good number now. And McVeigh McVay seems motivated. We forget he's a really good coach. He's a really good offensive coach. We forget Stafford is good. He was fantastic by a lot of the advanced metrics and they're overall, the Rams just like played really, really well. Their offense was number three based on DVOA metrics. They were good. We keep rolling along. Rammies is going to be one of our plays this week. I don't know what to do in this game, Eric. The Jets at the Cowboys. We saw the Jets with Aaron Rodgers get hurt on Monday Night Football. To me, like, there's a huge trend after teams win by so much to bet them. But with Dallas. Yeah, I mean, after teams win by 28 or more, 47% ATS, 35 or more, 42% ATS. But you have to look at it like this. Do you trust Zach Wilson on the road? Because it was pretty clear against, that against this defense. It was against pretty, this defense. It was pretty clear with that play calling that they absolutely don't trust him at all. Flip side, the Jets defense did look pretty good. I mean, maybe they'll be able to keep him in, in the game. But at the end of the day, I don't think the Jets can just score enough points to come in. Because to, to cover this number, you need to get to 10. Can the Jets get to 10? I don't think they can. I don't either. Yeah, I'm, I'm staying away from this one. I, I This one, I had some of the least notes because Cowboys were up 19 to nothing before they even scored an offensive touchdown. They yeah. returned a block field goal for a touchdown. Defense has a pick six. Overall, seven sacks, two interceptions, a pick six. They forced five fumbles. Five different – or six different Cowboys had at least four pressures. Their defense is fantastic. Like, shit just, it's, excuse my language. 
no, no, it's just, it's, and it's like, you can't take anything from the film in that game and like use it for this week. It's just, we know Dallas has a good defense. Like it, I, I don't want to play the jets, unfortunately at, at this number with, uh, with old Zachy. Let's go Broncos uh, at home. They're hosting Washington. The Broncos come out of one of the weirder games of week one, Eric, because a lot of people rolled their eyes and said, oh, the Broncos, they only scored 16 points again. You know, even with Sean Payton coming in, the offense didn't get any better. Russell Wilson didn't get any better. You know, Denver had the number four offensive DVOA of the week. Uh, Denver attempted an onside kick in the opening play of the game. They didn't get it. That resulted in a short field for the Raiders and immediately a touchdown. So all of a sudden they're behind. The Broncos only got six possessions in the whole game. Six. The Raiders went on this one really long drive, but and the Broncos had a couple of them themselves, Eric. Um, they won the time of possession by over four minutes. Wilson yeah. only had two incompletions out of his first 19. He led two drives of 75-plus yards, finishing them off with touchdown passes. They were up by three at half. He was really good on intermediate stuff. They had three scoring drives of 75-plus yards. Um, it really wasn't the offensive's fault. They were number eight in EPA per play. They had a positive EPA per play. They had a 47.6% success rate, which was seventh. That's how many of your plays were graded successful. Almost half of them. Wilson ranked quarterback number four on the week for EPA plus completion percentage over expectation. Uh, and they won that stat, the noise canceled score by one point. Now, I don't love the number at three and a half. I think the Broncos are a little bit better than people may have thought if you're just looking at the score of week one. And the Commanders, they looked bad. The defense saved them. They held Arizona to three points offensively and 93 yards in the second half. The defense had 17 total pressures, allowed only 210 total yards. As you had predicted, Brian Robinson Got the bulk of the work. He had 59 yards, 19 carries, also a seven-yard touchdown catch. Gibson only had three carries. Just the second time in his career, he had four touches or less in a game. I like Denver more. I don't know if I just want to lay the three and a half, but I think Denver's going to play well in here. I want nothing to do with this game. To me, well, I, I've i been on your podcast a lot, and the main thing I've always said was what? Sean Payne has these insanely talented teams. And because he gets too cute for the room, they lose exactly the what he did to the onside and kick. I don't know where I know Marvin Mims is coming back from injury. Where the hell is Marvin Mims? You cannot expect to win a game when Samaji Pirine is your leading rusher. Javante Williams, I think he's going to be a stud toward the end of the season. He looked tired, he looked out of shape, which is to be expected. He's coming back from a serious yep. injury, but you have a chance, you need a touchdown. And with how good he is at breaking tackles, he's not in the game. That was like, WTF, what are you doing? Um, Wilson looked good for the first half. Second half, he kind of struggled a little bit. Defense wasn't able to get that many stops. Commanders, the thing that stood out for the commanders. Their defense was terrible. For, for That was the key for Denver. Their defense really wasn't very good. Yeah, they didn't stop the Raiders at all. And um, for the commanders, the, the main thing that stood out to me was the guy that is your lead back runs better out of the a traditional quarterback under center formation, but you kept doing shotgun. So you, you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know if Robinson long-term with what they're trying to do kind of fits into it. 
defense was okay. Offense made enough plays, but to me, I, this is the to me this is the game I want okay, nothing, nothing to, do to do with it. Don't touch it with a ten foot pole. We get to Dolphins at the Patriots. Patriots are a three point home dog in here. Tua had the fourth most passing yards of all time in Week One. He had 466. He attempted eight passes targeted more than 20 yards downfield, completed five of them, six big-time throws, one turnover-worthy play. It was his second-highest-graded game in his career. He was the number one quarterback in EPA. So how about this? Number one quarterback in EPA last year when the defense made a mistake. When there was broken coverage, he was number one. When there was perfect coverage, where do you think Tua was last year? Toward the bottom. Dead last. That's what happens, Eric. That's how they've been able to pick teams apart. If you play smart defense and don't bite and don't get beat, they're not going to beat you. If you get beat and make a mistake, he's going to find Hill or Waddle and you're done. Yeah, That's what happens. If you just play smart defense, you can beat this team. We saw the Chargers do it last year. They couldn't do it, though, this year. Um, there were seven lead changes in that game, 60 combined first down, 70 points total, six, 969 yards. Hill was amazing, but they're going to have to play a good defense here. The Patriots turn the ball over on their first drive. Then on their next play, they're down 16 to nothing. They have two turnovers, three, three and outs. First five drives, they've got 43 yards. Then they figure things out. They had to throw the ball 54 times though. They couldn't run the ball at all, which was a little strange. They're usually really good at that. I'm sure they'll try to lean on the run here. And that's what the Chargers just did running for 270 yards against the Dolphins. So I imagine that the Patriots bounce back and run the ball a lot better here. I'm I'd le- I'm liking Patriots at anything on the three, home divisional dog, three or above. I'm yeah, leaning I the Patriots here. I think the Patriots here plus the three. I think the big thing we need to remember is a couple things. A, they lost the game, but the Pats' defense looked good. Very good. It's against a like- good offense. Yep, it's looking like Armstead's going to be out again. With Armstead being out, I believe that the pass rush of the Patriots is going to be able to get home against Tua. Belichick is going to have a game plan to take um, um, Hill away, force other guys to beat you. In terms of DFS, a real sneaky punt play. Taking out Tua, obviously, because he's the quarterback and the offensive lineman, just looking at the skill players. Which skill player played the most snaps for the Miami Dolphins? I'm not sure. Who was that? Their tight end, Durham Smith. Okay. He was on the field for every single offensive play. Major positive for someone if you're looking for a sneaky, cheap, and if you just accidentally can get a couple targets, right? Because you're just on the field so much. And, I mean. Doubles the hill. Like you said, they try to take hill out of the game or waddle. Um, I think that they're going to be able to run the ball. And, but the main thing is this. When you're playing on turf, it's, it's a faster surface. When you're playing on grass, it's a lot slower. You're going from playing on that California turf to playing on that New England grass. I think they're not going to be as explosive offensively. I think Belichick's going to have a thing. I think they're going to, like you mentioned, this is going to be a rushing attack. They're going to lean on that running game, shorten the game. Chargers are able to run for over two th- six. I think this is a great bounce back spot for Rashad R- Ramon Stevenson. I'll, I'm on the fin, the Patriots here. I took him at plus three. 
that's Sunday night football. Remember this week, there are two Monday night football games. I hate what they do with this too. They, they have them stacked on top of each other. They don't even like let the, let them play out and then start the second game. So we can all watch them both. I guess it's better for people on the East coast. Cause it doesn't start as late, but we're, we're East two games. Fire, baby. East right? coast fire. I love it. The, the two games going on simultaneously, instead of having a full game on, uh, and then another full game after it. Saints at Panthers was my game that I had no idea what to do with Eric because the defense of the Panthers played pretty well, held the Falcons to under 225 total yards, three turnovers cost him the game. But then you had young who did exactly what we thought he had eight throwaways in that game. The third most in a game since PFF began charting back in 2006, the offense didn't have openings. The receivers were not open. He didn't feel like forcing it. He was throwing it away. The Saints I don't know how good they were because Tannehill was missing wide open guys. I thought the Saints should have lost that game. I- I'm staying away from this one. Young looked awful. Um, I don't know. I don't trust Wright as a coach. I think Wright kind of messed up not taking the three right away, putting a little scoreboard pressure on the um, on the Falcons, especially when you have a young quarterback. I would have liked to see them lean on Miles Sanders a little bit more. Young Young just looked bad. Footwork looked he did. bad. He looks small I and have, unprepared, and they don't have weapons. I, but then again, I don't trust Dennis Allen. To me, this is just a pure stay away. Yeah. I have nothing to do. Maybe I'll look at some tight end props for um, – um, but that would be it for Juwan Johnson, yeah. but that would be it. I'm staying away from that one. Monday night, Browns at the Steelers. Steelers are a two-point home dog because the Steelers probably looked the worst of any team in the league week one, and the Browns looked about as good. They're on that short list of the the best teams in week one. Six minutes left to go in the half. Uh, Pittsburgh had 45 penalty yards and one offensive yard. One. They had five straight three and outs with negative nine yards to start. They didn't earn a first down until one minute and 15 seconds left to go in the half. Our, our, Our guy, Matt Canada, I think you'll like this stat. So they have gone 36 straight games without 400 yards of offense. There have been 269 different offensive that has gained 400 yards since the last time the Steelers have done it. Mm-hmm. 269 different times wow. an offense. He just can't, he's not creative. Pickett was bad on many early throws. The offensive line wasn't good. They gave up five sacks. Deontay Johnson slipped on a route. It gave the defensive player from San Francisco an easy interception. Maybe keep an eye on Calvin Austin, second-year player. He finished with six catches, six targets. Uh, he, he lined up out wide 86% of the time. He was the guy kind of taking advantage, especially if Claypool doesn't look good and you don't have Johnson um, over there. Actually, sorry, I said Claypool. Claypool was your old stealer. Um, Pickett, though, you and I agreed he was bad. Hayward got hurt. The linebackers in the secondary were awful. The defense gave up 188 rushing yards. They allowed San Francisco to go 6 of 13 on third down. One of the lone bright spots was Watt, who was awesome as always. But they lost by 23 points, Eric. That was the greatest margin of defeat at home in the Mike Tomlin era. They in the, Even in, in one point, they had to call a timeout on a 4th and 12 when the 49ers were about to kick a field goal because they didn't have the right personnel yeah, out they there. Just, they just look sloppy. Uh, Tomlin off a loss. 58.6% ATS, 24 and 34 as a dog, 51, 28 and 3 at 64.6. Home dog, 15, 5 and 3. Look, I took this at one and a half, but then the, some Steelers injury news started coming out. Um, I, To me, I don't know because 
I'm heavily invested in Browns futures. Yeah. If the Browns win this game, they're two. They've already got the two divisional wins, which are they're huge. They're looking in a great position because historically speaking, teams that go two and zero make the playoffs. Flip side, one of the biggest injuries that's not being reported at all is my boy Jack Conklin out for the year for the Browns. That is pretty big. Hayward banged up. Both these teams are banged up. You got to bet in my eyes, Steelers here on the bounce back. Yep. Um, historically speaking, because this is what we look for, Eric. The one team that had an awful week, the uh, one other team had a fantastic week. So everybody yeah. saw the Browns look great. Everybody saw the Steelers look horrible. And that's why we're probably getting an extra two points here, two to three points. Like otherwise, we're probably looking at Steelers minus one or something in that range. Exactly. Exactly. I'll take, I'll take this all day. Give it to me, me. too. So I think this will be our fifth of the five games for week one. It looks like you and I are going to land on Falcons plus the one Texans plus the one Titans plus the three Rams plus the eight Steelers plus the two for our five games of the week. Eric, I know you need to run. You get, you extended your time with me here very kindly of you to do so. So we're going to give you a follow at ETOF21 and we'll check out all of your stuff at ETOF21 Sports, wherever you are Friday on the, the winning ticket with DRF Sportsbook. And then you have your podcast that will come out also this weekend as well, right? Yeah, it comes out Friday-ish. I don't really know when. Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, my boy uh, Brandon comes on, shares some NASCAR picks. Nick comes on, talks a little fantasy. We build a DFS lineup. If you followed it, we went against the grain. We did build a cash cash game lineup. We built it around Mike Evans, um, Aaron Jones, and Kurt um Kirk Cousins so you want some money there so hopefully uh, we can keep that going so be on the lookout for that 10 road teams won in week one the average starting age of a quarterback in week one was 27 years old that was the youngest average age since the merger so we saw some sloppy teams that didn't play preseason we saw some young quarterbacks no more Brady no more Breeze a lot of the old vets no Roethlisberger they're not around anymore so it's a lot of new faces there making their starts Eric, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate the extra few minutes. Good luck to you the next few days. I'll talk with you on Friday over on DRF uh, Sportsbook with the winning ticket. And good luck, everyone. Don't forget about parlayplay.io. Use that promo code NFL Betting Blitz. They've got action every day, all different sports. So if you're a football fan, you can play on Mondays, Thursdays, Sundays. But if you like baseball or some of the other sports going on, you can play the different uh, prop contests they have. Um, and and the, the different ways to get involved. Remember to use that promo code NFL betting blitz. Good luck this week, folks. We'll talk to you again in just a few days. Download the Stable Duel app and play today.
Get those entries in and play, race, win, stable duel contest each and every day. Now we shift to horse racing Friday, Woodbine Pick 5. We'll talk about races 2 through 6. Then we'll get into Saturday, Woodbine with Barry Spears. Races 6 through 10, we preview all four graded stakes races there. And then we close it out in race number 10 to to finish up that Pick 5. Then we get to Saturday, Aqueduct Best Bets. Couple plays throughout the card for Saturday, September the 16th. Kick back as we go from Friday Woodbine to Saturday Woodbine to Saturday Aqueduct. Let's talk some Friday racing at Woodbine. Big weekend coming up with Saturday racing at Woodbine. Well, I can tell you about some of the Saturday racing at Woodbine right now because it's Woodbine Mile Day. It's Turf Champions Day. Three grade one races, four graded stakes. Race six kicks off a pick five. That's a graded stakes races, uh, graded stakes in four of the, the five races. $250,000 guaranteed in that pick five, races six through 10. $100,000 guaranteed early pick five, $250,000 guaranteed late pick four. All that money up for grabs. That's on Saturday. If you want to play in the BCBC, you can actually qualify this weekend in the Woodbine contest, but you have to register by Friday at noon Eastern time. So make sure you get registered right away if you want to play in that. And you can play uh, from Express Bet. We're going to take a look at Friday's early pick five sequence, races two through six. It's a $50,000 guaranteed pick five pool and you can play for just a 20 cent based wager with these drf pass performances you can get them for free when you sign up for a drf bets account use the promo code winning every time you bet 50 bucks you get credit for another drf card race number two the three aramos is the big dropper of the short prices i think he makes sense he has the blinkers coming on they're trying to get him a little more speed early i like the one in here dancing deputy it's a horse who tried the turf last time, didn't like it, and that was in against better. The only time when she's been in, I say she, he, dancing deputy, when he's been in a comparable spot, he ran really well to finish third. He got, it was a, it was a good start. He was right on the lead, and then he took back. He sat off. He ended up sitting wide all the way around. He was within about a length and a half. Three deep, he moved up to challenge. There was a rival to his outside four wide that made him in between horses. He got pushed late. He was very, very good. Um, Really nice effort finishing third. I I think the effort was so good, that's why they decided to try tougher. Who's going to go with this horse on the front end, though? I think naturally he's just the quickest in here. The two's not fast. The three's not fast. The four's not fast. The five would be the only other one that could possibly sit in a in a really nice spot or maybe be on the lead. The six is not fast, and neither is Yorkville. So by process of elimination, it leaves us with the one and the five as the fast horses in here. Dancing Deputy fits at the level. Everything about him makes sense. I just hope he's aggressively handled from the rail. The number one, Dancing Deputy, is the play for me. The three, Eremos, looks like the horse to beat. The five might be that next pace horse who finds himself in a really good spot. The seven, Yorkville, would be the next one for me. Just kind of a measuring stick horse, and he might fall into a really good trip from the outside. I like the cutback from the mile and a 16th there. One, three all over the place, and then if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, uh, the uh, the ones I mentioned after them. Let's get to the third race. In this one, we'll go six and a half furlongs on the turf, $25,000 claimers. I like the three quite a bit. Emerald Lake. Now, this filly does not need the lead. 
She crushed last time out when she dropped in against a lot lower. Look at her form before that. She was here in Southern California facing really tough company. She ran behind a horse named Anna Set. This is a multiple graded stakes winner and a grade one winner. Unfaithful Ways was in there, came out to win that race next. Glenn All came out to win that race next out. Eleuthera is a, a nice horse also. So all the form in Southern California, this horse had been facing really tough company. Goes up to Woodbine, tries to figure out where she fits. They try optional 40 non-winners of three. Look, she was only six to one in that race. And she showed speed. It was on a good turf course going seven and a half, and she faded. Then she takes a huge drop down in class. She crushes. She gets back to the turf. I think she sits third in here. The way it shapes up on paper, silent gurus very quick. And systematics pretty quick. I'd love to see Emerald Lake sitting third right behind those two. The six horse, Silent Guru, I also do think is intriguing. She's the one to catch, and she has one at and beyond this distance. If anyone can sneak away, it might be her. She might be quicker than systematic. Three, six, two systematics, the the next one. And then four, Cleomones. I'm, I'm going to take a shot against my Sunny Valentine, and I'm – Really going to lean on Emerald Lake in here. Three, six, two for me, Emerald Lake, the one I like. We move to the fourth race. What makes this race a little difficult is your top three betting choices in here. They all are really fast. They all have speed. They all want to go. Give me the boots. He's never shown, she has never shown the ability to come off the pace really either. She's been pretty one-dimensional. United Front, also been pretty one-dimensional. And the... Other pace player is map. So you have three major players. They're all fast and you figure they'll all want to be forwardly placed. So I'm looking for a horse who can sit off a little bit. That gets me to the two to mana. She debuted in a stakes race twice in her six race career. They've been in stakes races. The three times she was at lower levels where she fits. She's run really well. That August 18th race. She was inside about five or six lengths off. She was traveling well. She was down inside behind horses. She finally got room late, and she just missed second. The horse that she lost to is a horse named Catchy Name. I'm recording this on September the 14th, and Catchy Name just won about 10 minutes before I started recording this. So she lost to a sharp horse, and I think she can get a really nice trip. She has enough positional speed based on like what she showed last time I don't think she'll be completely outrun in here. Tamana is the play for me. Then I'll go to the 10 map. I think she has the ability with the outside draw to figure out what everyone's doing. And then if she really wants to go and clear from out there, then you've got the three. Just getting some class relief. Give me the boots. Big drop. Trying to figure out where she fits. The seven would be my next one. Hell of a holiday. She's getting some class relief. The synthetic form is not bad with this horse and if you got if you go back to some of the sprints like she was good at five furlongs just hasn't been showing as much speed recently the blinkers are on they want to get her more involved two ten three seven i like the two though as the play to mana we'll make a win wager if we can get anything over four to one fifth race twenty five thousand non-winners of two i'm gonna go to the seven in here midnight rambling just lightly raced with the most upside he's done the least wrong in his career. 
Comes off of a runner-up effort on the turf. He's been very good on the synthetic. Going five and a half at this level, he was a runner-up on June the 23rd. This is a spot for him. Look at the rest of the field. The inside three all seem pretty quick. Musical strike wants to go. Musical stride. Adelaide court, I think, will be forwardly placed and the blinkers on. Very debonair is really quick. So it should set up for midnight rambling. The two Adelaide court... The race that kind of jumped off to, off the page to me was the one at five and a half furlongs on the synthetic when he came from off the pace back in November. See, he closed from seventh of eight and he finished second that day. That's the type of trip he might get in here if he doesn't want to show as much of the speed. They have the blinks. Do they want to get more forwardly placed? He can come from off the pace. Seven, two, and nine for me determine fury. The blinkers coming on. He cuts back. He's drawn well to the outside. No more excuses for him. Seven, two, nine, all over the place. The five is a horse I have a hard time trusting because of the the one for 23 record lifetime. But just based on his last two races, he fits in here. Can you play that game with him though? Can you forget about the rest of uh, his form and, and just use the last two? Because off of those races, he's a player. And you want to go... Uh, a little deeper, even maybe the one is the horse that can run away from him. If there's anyone that clears, is it the rail horse here? Musical stride, maybe a little fitter cutting back. Let's close out the Friday Woodbine pick five with the number one, Richie's in the house. Nine-year-old, hope that they just send this guy from the inside, gets back to the turf where he's been very good. An 18-time winner overall in 35 lifetime starts for this nine-year-old. And he's had a lot of gaps in training. And when he's come back, he's been very good off the bench. The key for me is just pushing through from the inside. I think he's the fastest here. The number nine is obviously a player. I think she's the horse to beat, or he is the horse to beat. Hallie's hero is one, two in a row, three of the last four. He's got that nice tactical style where he puts himself you know, a few lengths out of it, and he will come running. The eight right next door, tough to knock the two-back race on the turf, beating first-level allowance company there. So I'm one nine eight. You want to go a little deeper. The six gets back to the turf where he's perfect, and he has some speed. He can also sit off a little bit. You have the two, Mad Dog and Joe, just a total wild card at this distance. I feel like he might be able to sit a nice trip, he has some of that positional speed. Usually it's going longer. One nine eight for me. You wanted to go a little deeper. I went six and two. That's a look at Friday at Woodbine in that early pick five. But don't forget about Saturday and the big day at Woodbine Turf Champions Day. Three grade ones on the card. A $250,000 pick five sequence that has four graded stakes races in it. You can get involved in a contest That could qualify you for the BCBC. But remember, that registration closes on Friday at noon Eastern time. For any more details you need, get to woodbine.com. Saturday, September the 16th is Woodbine Turf Champions Day. It is a big day with three 
grade one events and another grade graded stakes race on the card. We've got guaranteed pools all over the place at Woodbine. $100,000 guaranteed in the early pick five. You have $250,000 guaranteed in both the late pick four and late pick five. And that pick five is going to be the focus of this preview show with myself, Gina Bacola, my good friend, Barry Spears. The sniper joins me, Barry, from going in circles and big Mondays. How you doing over there, buddy? Hanging in there, man. You know me. Getting ready for this uh, huge day at Woodbine. I mean, those three grade ones kind of say it all, but I, I can't wait. Big, big fields, too, in the, the two-year-old races that we're going to dive into. And it's a, a kind of a changing of the seasons right now in the horse racing world, right? A lot of the summer tracks finishing up. We just had Saratoga, Del Mar, Monmouth ended up and now we're we're switching over some of the new tracks opening but one that's constant and stays through a lot of the year is woodbine uh they stay constant up there and very consistent with real quality racing real big fields and woodbine turf champions day woodbine mile day is always a big big one so make sure you get involved with us on saturday now keep in mind there's a couple other things to mention there's a big contest you can play on site at Woodbine or you can play through Express Bet if you're down here in the USA. Registration closes on Friday, this, uh, September 15th at noon Eastern. So you have to register. If you win this, you get your seat into the BCBC, the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Um, so I actually just found out that I'll be at the Breeders' Cup this year. I haven't been in a, a many, many years, but it's going to be at Santa Anita this year. So it's not Sweet. too far from Never me. I'll be over there and doing a uh, doing a little work. I'll probably be with the. I think I got the press pass that I'll be uh nice. I'll be dealing with. So having to be doing some work there, that'll be fun for all of you that want to play in the contest. Make sure you sign up before noon Eastern on Friday the fifteenth, and we're going to look at the daily racing form past performances. We are going to dive into those formulator style past performances. Remember, you can get them for free when you sign up for DRF bets. When you play through DRF bets, use the promo code winning sign up and they'll give you all the way up to a $250 deposit match bonus. So we got the housekeeping out of the way. Now it's time to jump on in Barry. Let's do some handicapping and let's look at this pick five sequence starts in race number six. $250,000 guaranteed in the pool. And remember, because we're playing at Woodbine, they have the 20-cent-based uh, 20 increments. So if you don't have a whole lot in your account, maybe you want to play some bigger tickets and spread around a little bit, you can play with that 20-cent base. Barry, what makes it a little difficult is as the time we are recording right now on Thursday afternoon, about 5.30 p.m. Eastern time, there are still a lot of horses that are cross-entered in these two races. Um, in this race and then another two-year-old race a little later on, we can kind of pick and, and choose who we think might go there, who we think might go where. But like always in these Woodbine races, Mark Cassie holds a big <laughs> hand, right? And sort of what he wants to do with some of the, the big speed horses. Because in this, thir uh, this sixth race, that's the grade one summer, he has a horse named My Boy Prince, who was a 14-length winner and earned a 95 buyer speed figure winning on the synthetic last time out. He's very quick, um, but he's a, a horse who's going to take money and he'll have to stretch out and try turf for the other, uh, for the first time. So he, he kind of, I think assuming that this will be the speed of his horses, he's probably going to try to figure out which other horses he wants in here versus the other race, which horses maybe can sit. Cause 
I'd imagine this is the horse that's going to go, right? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it's a it's a good problem to have. I mean, you, yeah. you can go through these uh, past performances and see how many horses he has amongst these Quality. state races. Um, he's got a definite great shot to win. He could actually win all all of them. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I think this is the right spot for my boy Prince. But mm-hmm. it, you know, it's... anything that it, that the racetrack has ever taught you is to not take a short price on a horse that's doing something for the first time. And, and that's probably things? what you're going to get. Yeah. Going long, long and on the winter, turf. Right. And, and while dealing with other pace in here too. Yeah. You know? And it, the, the, the pace should be lively. You know, um, my boy Prince is actually on my toss list. I didn't like the <laughs> horse in this, this race, regardless of the surface. Um, but he's you know, a horse that's, super talented and one of those horses that can absolutely run off the screen. But like we're pointing out, we haven't seen him on the turf. We haven't seen him go this long. He's going to be over bet a little bit. He's wheeling back pretty quickly. This race was on August the 27th. So he hasn't even had a full month um, to recover from that. And he's never done that before, right? He's always had about a month in between races or even more. And the fact that there could be other speed in a big field like this with a lot of other horses stretching out. I mean, if Bolt Honoree is in here, she's going to be really quick. She wants to go wherever Erosa ends up. She can sit, but she's pretty quick too. just naturally Western world is only entered in here because this is a boy. You can't run in the Philly race. He's <laughs> like, he will be forwardly placed in here. Um, you know, even a horse like the nine who got farther back than he wanted last time out and they put the blinkers on him. I think it's because they want to be more forward golden canary, whichever race she shows up in, she will be forward as will king of the track. All of them showed tactical speed sprinting and now they're all stretching out. Right. And, and it projects this pace to, to heat up quite a bit. Um, if you can get a consistent closer, someone like Carson's run perhaps mm-hmm. um that might be your 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 flavor yep uh i don't particularly like that horse i i, I kind of leaning towards uh busick who who really got a weird trip yes in that uh in this in the soaring free and it was also uh you know just a i don't know i i can't even explain the race you have to actually watch it to see yeah let's what pull it up trip, let's pull it up what what trip that horse got he was it was just strange he was wide and then went inside in the stretch it was crazy So he's the eight in the race that we're going to be watching right now he was less than five to one in this race and it was a soaring free he was behind golden canary in there so he had a, a fine start he kind of broke in and was bumped when you saw the head on and then right around here he gets sort of shuffled shuffled back a little bit um he he ends up like it's weird like he's wide here then he ends up in between horses then he goes outside and then he goes inside right it's it's, he's really all over the place (laughs) international man he went everywhere yeah it was a bizarre trip so like now he starts to move into some contention you see him sort of up there three wide um and keep in mind this is a race where there's no passing golden canary clears the field and wins this race and right Right. here and daring duchess was you know basically the second the whole way yep so I have no problem with Busick. You have Kimura jumping aboard, and he was aboard for the win. Two starts back, the blinkers coming on, and just hoping to get this horse a little more focused. See, now here he's behind horses. He ducks inside. Yeah. He's got to shift in, so he's green. 
He's still figuring things out and the blinkers could really help him. And look, when he shifted in, he went like all really the way in. over <laughs> and almost knocked into the other horse. That was like two or three pass inside. So he's not, you know, he's still green figuring it out. And like, we, there was not much passing in that race. I, I have no problem with him because we are looking at this race in the same way, Barry. I like the four a little bit. Yes, um, that was the other one. That's yep. the other one. That I, I like. Because yep. his first two races, he's just losing to horses who have a little more tactical speed than him. And he's just behind. Then last time they go a little bit longer and he finally gets the type of trip that he needs where he's able to settle and he's able to sit behind horses. And, you know, he was... You know, inside in some traffic, he tips around and it was a really impressive late kick. And I like the progression too. the like he's got some bottom from four and a half to six to six and a half. I like when horses stretch out after they've progressed like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what's funny about this race is we were talking about Cassie with all the horses. Kevin Attard has a, a great hand in here. And I think he his does. horses are, are going to equally as so, live. Yeah, yeah, because Air Rosa. If you can pull up that catch a glimpse, yes, that wasn't that was a pretty oh. tough performance, and and the horse finished really really strong and, it was and awesome visually. And yeah. I was so impressed with how she showed that she can sit off the pace like that, you know, because that was the question with Erosa going into that race. Because you and I uh, previewed these races too. Yeah, I think we've previewed like the last two rounds of some of these preps for a lot of these horses, and she was nice. Is she breaks right on top. But then a couple other horses go, and she's like, I'm, I'm fine just sitting off yeah, to the outside. Tactical. Let him go. And that's that type of horse with that. The, like, do you have those options as a rider in a race or in fields like this, wherever she shows up in each of these fields? She's going to be on my tickets, no doubt, because she could sit this type of trip exactly. Exactly. And that's what I was thinking. And, you know, she did this pretty easy. She did. Um, and, and, that she's very, very talented. I, I, I love this race. I, I, she's would be my top pick here. Yeah. She's, um, she's, a, she's the horse to beat for me because even more than my boy Prince, because he's the type there's a, there's more likelihood that he wins a race by 10. Right. But as far as who is the most sure winner of this race consistently, I would say Erosa based on what she's shown. She goes inside, shifts around, finds room, ducks through, and then, opens up nicely and the horse who comes running ready to jam has a shot in the later race that we're going to talk about. That's a nice horse too. So yeah, I think of the shorter prices, it sounds like if Erosa were to run in here, we would both like Erosa versus my boy Prince. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree on that one. Um, yeah, for me, it was four, seven in this rate. Like the four was my price play. The seven was my, the horse to beat play as my top two i like busick i had busick in like the fourth fifth spot on some of my spread tickets so will definitely be uh, in the mix for me um you mentioned carson's run and we talked about my boy prince like carson's run is fine i kind of feel the same way you do like he wouldn't shock me i, I like i just sort of like others a little bit more than him right yes. you know it's yeah not i have like I seven on him yeah, he's he's good. It's just you know, it's just weird when when you get these horses coming up there from New York, they don't particularly run all that great, to be. And honest. you kind and, of assume they will, you know. Yeah, they get bet a lot, um, just because of the connections. Who you know, obviously this horse is going to get bet too, but I I wouldn't say that this horse is any better or worse than everybody else. 
kind of on par. So, you know, I would I would lean towards kind of the home team. Yeah. Rather than to go to Carson's run. Um, I ended up with seven, nine and four. But yeah, we're pretty know. similar here. Yeah. Um, the uh, you know, the obviously where the Cassie horses show up is, is going to matter to some of the pace and, and stuff like that. But the horses who, you know, the seven is the most adaptable because based on whatever happens. And so uh, Philly, really, really honest. That was a good effort that we just uh, watched a minute ago with Air Rosa. So this race kicks off your pick five. It's a $250,000 guaranteed pick five pool with the grade one summer. We go from grade one to grade three. And we spoke about the bold venture last time we talked about Woodbine Barry. That was a race oh, yeah. on August the 20th. And we actually have the top five finishers from that race all coming back here. That was a race that was won by Patches O'Houlihan, who went wire to wire. And he's won six of his seven races. And now he's proven that he can beat open company and legitimate graded stakes foes. But this is a tougher field than, than he faced. And, and there's more speed in here, too. It looks That's like that's the bigger difference. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like that horse, but I think that one might be a little bit vulnerable. I, you know, if you look at his past performances, um, the times that he got big numbers, he really got easy trips. Yep. Really, really easy. Important. And that's most of the time. Um, I, I want to s- believe that Rockcrest has to go is going to go. And 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 cause some issues for patches. For the um, same reasons that you were saying, Rockcrest's best races are when he shows speed, mm-hmm. and, and he can he can battle a little bit, but he's got to be showing speed. He doesn't want to sit off the pace a little at all. Like he tried that last time. I know it was his first start in a few months, and it was on the turf and stuff. But he's just he's so much a different horse when he's flashing speed, and with the rail draw, it just feels like it's going to force him right. Yeah, you would think um, because, you know, at least tactically looking at everybody in this race and what their strengths are, you would think that they're not going to let Patches O'Houlihan get away from them. No. And, you know, if, if he, you know, he's he's proven he could battle, but I'm just going to side against that in a race like this. Me too. Um, you know, just going through the field, the other horse that probably will catch some action is Outlaw Kid. and there's no indication that this horse is going to be any good on the synthetic. I, I, I mean, I'm a little cold on him too. Like he's, yeah. I mean, the, the trainer isn't, doesn't really have good numbers on the synthetic as a whole. And you know, he has good numbers on the turf. I, I just don't understand why he's in this spot to be honest, but whatever uh, you have my buddy B who probably isn't any good. That might also add to the pace here. And you know, kind of by attrition, I landed on <laughs> on number three, Super Watson. Yeah, I, I think he he ends up being the trip horse, getting the best trip out of what should or could happen. So in we can this race. We can watch Super Watson. We we I think we liked coming into the last race, and he we just did. did not get the type of. He just got a bad trip. Like of Didn't all a, of yeah, all of, he was wide chasing the lone speed. And so he's the 10 that we're watching here. And a lot of these same horses come out of it. Watch the 10 and watch the six. Those are the two horses I wanted to mention back from this race. Cause I think they're the most interesting to play back because they have the trips that we're just talking about. So you see the uh, six horse who's right there with everyone, but then gets kind of stuck in some traffic 
and shuffled back and watched. And our 10 is four wide. I see him on the breaks right there too. Yep. So the six gets shuffled back and the 10 is four wide chasing lone speed. And here comes the six again, like running into traffic down there. <laughs> um, I Those are the two I like out of this race that I think might be able to get the trip. Because if anyone pushes patches of Hulahan and he doesn't get this type of trip, where he's able to just clear off, dictate when he wants, and then they come and get him, and he slows it down a little bit, and just so he has enough left late in the tank, right? He got to do everything he wanted in that race. Yeah, so, he, he had it his own way from start to finish. You know, Super Watson, <clears throat> if you Like, look right at here, he kind of looks like he's done, and he's still, look at, he, he keeps coming, trying, trying hard. And here comes the six, too, tips to the outside, and the six, after getting shuffled back, he's trying right down here, too. So, I... Like even right, look that, at Watson in between horses, kind of in some traffic, looking around, and they both finish right next to each other. They're both in the mix for me, Barry, both Secret Reserve and Super Watson, because if you're you have to kind of map it out for yourself. If you're playing the race and you think Patches O'Houlihan is gonna get beat, well, how does he get beat by other speed pressing him? Mm-hmm. Right. So that probably eliminates some of the other speed or puts, or at least puts you in a position where you want to find horses that are coming from off the pace. And that's, that's how I I do a lot of my handicapping. You know, it's what do you see? How do you see it now? Who are those horses we're looking at that might get that trip and that might be the price and that all come together. And in here, it feels like it might be super Watson. Yeah. I, I think he rates a, to sit a good trip. So does old chestnut. It's a little weird, though, um, how Rico Walcott ends up on this horse of all people. Not that he's a, a bad jockey or anything. It's just a little strange. Um, he hasn't a lot been of jockey recently. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of jockey shuffling going on here, which is always interesting. I mean, whether you take a lot of stock in it or not, it's still something to, to kind of make note. But, you know, the key is that somebody has to run with patches O'Houlihan. And, uh, you know, if it's the one in the eight, I think Super Watson is going to get a great trip. Now, what I'm going to I'm going to do is on on a, one or two of my tickets where I'm spreading, I'm going to use the eight because you know I, I want to pull this race up. I watched this race at Mountaineer last time out, and then I started oh, yeah. diving into this course a little bit more um, because he's the ten in here, my buddy B. He's got a couple races w- just like this when he's been towards the outside. And he's sat a little bit and, and he might be a horse that if nobody really goes with patches or maybe the one and the, and the, and patches go, he could sit like he's the gray, Mm. just like right there. Right. That's where he sits. Yeah. And then when he feels like he needs to move up a little bit, he moves right up into contention. Now the horse to his outside is a horse named Wilston way. And that's a 10 time winner. Like that's a legitimate horse there at Mountaineer, who's been in some solid races like Good Allowance Company. And what's funny, Mr. Like my buddy B has a synthetic win at Turfway. If you look at his form overall, he has six wins and four losses. And all four of his losses are in races where he's going long, he's going long on the turf, he misses the break, and a race right before a long, long layoff. See right here, he's able to put away that horse and kind of kick on. Yeah, he ran well. He he like visually, it looks better than the running line does. You know, watching him absolutely sit yeah. off and then put a horse away and draw off again, 
instead of it, it looks sort of just like he's right on the lead, you know? And, and what I like too is Hernandez jumps aboard. So you get one of the best jockeys on the circuit. He's going to make his third start off the bench. And Lobo pops with these kind of cagey horses all the time like this, you know, horses that are 15, 20 to one. Um, so I'm going to flop this horse in, a, in one of the, uh, one or two of the pick fives or some of the late exotics, hoping he can sit third and let the other two do the dirty work. And, uh, another fun race, like the really, really quality races here throughout the sequence. And this is another one with a seven to five favorite, but a vulnerable favorite, a very yes. vulnerable favorite here who, you know, if you like him, you have plenty of reasons to like him. He's done little wrong, but this race is the best field he's faced. And I think the most other speed, like quality other speed he's faced in here. Anything else you want to mention, Barry, before we move to the, no, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually eagerly awaiting that race in particular, because, you know, I do think super Watson, um, rates a good chance there Me too. at a price. Um, but, you know, all these races are really good in this. And it's, it's, you know, it's like he had run four pretty bang up races back to back to back to back. Some, a lot of times you just don't continue to take another step up. You know, you'll have like a little sort of reset of your pattern. And I think I I'm with you. I'm just expecting much better from super Watson and secret reserve was right next to him in that race. And they both ran pretty well. I'm, I'm going to flop them both in here as we try to beat patches. O'Houlihan. And we move to the Natalma, two-year-old fillies, the Johnny Walker Natalma. Take a little uh, blue label, please. A little black label, little Johnny Walker. Um, blue label. Yeah, some good stuff. Expensive yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's always like a Christmas list thing for me when I was a little younger. Um, two-year-old fillies going the mile on the turf. There was an article uh, in the DRF about Charles Appleby. And there was a quote from him talking about how he's been starting to point to this race with some of his horses, in particular, some of his younger horses. I will say though, the Appleby horse that I'm interested in and I think is going to run really well is master of the seas. I think this horse may get a bit over bet in here. Oh um, yeah, definitely. You know, will be over bet. and, and I'm okay trying to play against dazzling star in this spot. Um, I wouldn't shock me at all. One thing to, point out how good this barn has been in North America the last couple of years, just right at the top 25 for 70. So overall 36% with every horse they've sent. When you take a look at stakes races, uh, the graded stakes races, they're unbelievable. Uh, 40%. So 21 for 53 over the last five years, a $2 and 70 cent ROI, 68% of the horses are in the money. But one thing that you will notice is that the last year or so, they have Chilly. struggled a little bit. And mm -hmm. all, all of these horses are short prices, right? Almost yeah. every one of them. So we're talking just one for the last 11. And six of those were at three to one or less. So it's a lot of money being burned because we look and see those numbers and how good they were the last couple of years. And I... I just don't, this is a horse that I'm trying to beat. I'm fine using Master of Seas in the next race, and we'll talk about that one. But visually, this horse was close up, was, got shuffled a little bit, had a little bit of traffic, was okay, just held fourth. Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't think it, it didn't. looked like a horse that wanted to go longer to me. Yeah, and I, seeing, it's, and it's I, one of those things. It's like, this horse is okay, you know, but 
because of the know, connections the, will just be right. way shorter than way over it should be. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely with you here. Just don't want any part of that horse. He may win easy, but yep. I don't want to be there at a short price. And even that horse was bet pretty good overseas too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and basically two out of those three races didn't really show up. No. Um, and and the time form ratings aren't all that great either. No. I I just siding elsewhere. <laughs> yep. Yep. So who are the some of the horses that are on your immediate radar in here? Um, the twelve horse is is one that I definitely earmarked as, as oh, a horse yeah. to watch. Let's Ozara. Watch yeah, that that was a pretty good race. Um and, and the horse seemed to come out of that and trained well after that point and on the turf as well. But uh, I, I think this horse race a good chance, even though um, kind of up against it a little bit from the outside. But you'll see and this just, horse just get to the rail. D- Dylan Davis does a great job fantastic. of saving ground. Because she's and the that 10. Won the race here. for him. She's got those neon green silks that you can see. And from that outside, he made a great move. You'll see so many riders a lot of time try to get more aggressive. And then they'll go up and be pushed either four wide in that first flight or three wide in that next flight. And he didn't. He waited, and he got a great spot right in about mid-pack or so. And now he's able to save ground right there on the rail. He gets into a little bit of a, of traffic trouble, but he's just in a really, really nice spot. And he moves up here, too. You'll see. Right here. He, boom. He presses yeah, the button he, and goes. It's like he, it's a up. great sense of pace, sense of there's my spot. Let's go get right into that spot, right? He saw it there, and another just really heady move by the rider to move up a couple lengths, get himself into positioning. And now he's sitting in a beautiful spot. And when he's able to get some room, basically at the top of the stretch, he gets right into that hole. And then, and then he just out finishes uh, a horse um, out of the Chad Brown barn that he's pretty damn good. Came back out of this race to win. There's another, uh, there's another winner that came out of this race and two horses that finished second. Looking for room, two path. Does he find it? He busts through that tight hole right there, and then, boom. Now, as soon as he can stretch his legs, gets a little separation, opens up a couple lengths, and then has to hold off, weigh Whoa. the risks. Here what comes- I find impressive is that the eight horse had a clear run he for did. a longer time. Yep. And and the ten didn't, and he still outfinished him, and that's that's really why you know that's that's the key to to why I like that horse a lot. Um, I think he he rates a good shot. I think he's going to get another similar type ride from Dylan on Saturday, and he's going to be in the right spot. The other horse um, that caught my eye was the Dancing Duchess, yep. coming out of that soaring free, yep. um, just missed uh, to Golden Canary. And she reminds I think me that a little day, bit of Erosa because yes. she's right. She's got the speed, but she can sit a little bit. She's got the versatility to her. She's just got that same, and she's just going to be a better price than her. Absolutely, you know? and 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 that's the other key is the price. Uh, Daring du- dancing duster, she probably should get somewhere around the morning line. And the thing about her is the she was actually up against it in the pace scenario, the way it yep. shook out because Golden Canary was kind of loose on the lead. Yep. And and she was she hung tough and finished strong and almost won. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a great race to springboard into a longer race into. She she, she should run all yep. day. Um, and then the last horse 
is the eight ready to jam and and we, we so watch that race um yeah. because that that horse really finished up strong yeah um to to a decent horse in air rosa those are, that's so funny. Those are my three. Those are my top three. Exactly. Eight, 12, three, the three that you mentioned that we just took a look <laughs> at, uh, re ready to jam for me. Um, uh, that was a good effort behind air Rosa. She was just a little too far back and she just feels like one who the distance will be absolutely perfect for, uh, we, we pulled up the 12 Ozara who was excellent. The race has come back live. Uh, Davis chips in with her as well. Um, talked about the three you pointed out lots of positives there. Uh, one other one that's just a little intriguing, the brown horse, She that fr that race at, in France was actually pretty nice. She, uh, yeah. it, it was it was impressive. She moved from fourth, fifth outside. She was three deep, and she just crushed a group of 12 other horses. It's just, a, dude, it's a fantastic betting race, you know? It is. She, it, it really she's is. She's live. There's a horse, like a horse, um, it's like she feels pretty was an impressive winner and beat three next out winners at Ellis. You know, this horse has to stretch out and ship, but she hasn't done anything wrong. The, like the nine got DQ'd and mm -hmm. it was one of those where the horse had to get DQ'd because she did foul a horse shifting out. She was doing the IRAD, right? Kind of shifting out. <laughs> and, but she was way the best. The horse that she shifted out and bumped a little bit was never going to beat her. It was probably going to run maybe third or fourth. And that's what happened. The horse got cost a slight placing, but she was so much the best in that race. The seven simply yeah, in front seven. She, she lost to a lone speed winner. I drafted Stormcast Cause I Stormcast would have been like a second or third choice in either one of these races. If she would have showed up today, it, it, cause she would have been a really speedy horse too, but Cassie has so many, he can't he, like, he probably put her on the shelf for a while or for different races. Cause you can't have five horses and five horses in each, in each one, man, like these two, <laughs> these races are so much fun as a handicapper to look at the charts, to look at the replays, to look at some of the pedigree to project and predict. And uh, we see lots of three eights and twelves in this one for me and Barry Ozara ready to jam and uh dancing Duchess were the three that we both kind of feel similarly about should run really well in this one. Let's get to the feature. The grade one Woodbine Miles is going to go as race number nine. It won't be as big a field as some of the others, but we do have a very quality horse uh, down on the inside, Barry, and Master of the Seas. He is a five-time group stakes winner. Just came off of winning uh, a group two over at Ascot very, very easily. We went through all the Charles Appleby stats a little earlier on. And this is a horse who's been in some of the biggest races in the world against some of the top, top company and has faced like has fared very, very well against them. And just sort of taking him out of the race, the others in this field, they're not that quality of like the U S horses. Cheryl Spate can be, and, and we can get to him, but just from a class standpoint, Master of the Seas to me just feels like he's been towers over these right? horses. Like there's so much different who he's facing and who he's faced. Yeah, he, he looks like a standout here, unless something really wonky happens with um, the pace, maybe or something like that. Yeah, right? that that could only help a horse like you know Cheryl Spite, but it's also going to help Master of the Seas too. Yeah, one horse that I, I would give a second look to just as an upsetter would be My Sea Cottage because there's really no pace in this race and uh, he's really the only one. 
Because I think War Bomber will be War Bomber will just let him go and sit second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because they'll be content doing that, and Cheryl Spate will be content sitting third. Yep, absolutely. And yeah. and I think you know my C card is going to take him a long way. Yep. He might even win it. Um, and and I kind of hope he does, <laughs> especially because he's he's going to get he's going to get played a little bit because people are going to recognize that he's lone speed. But they're really going to lay it on thick on this uh, Master, Master of the Seas horse. And for, yeah. for a horse like Cheryl Spate, this is a good spot for him now, right? Making his Absolutely. second start back after he went from the Breeders' Cup, where he was second behind Modern Games, to Tokyo, to Maidon, and then was off from March to August. And when he came, when he ran in August, he ran exactly like a horse would run coming off the layoff like that when they needed a race. He sort of loomed up into it, and then he just didn't have that punch late, but he kind of ran his race, and now you figure this time if he looms up, he'll have a little more fitness, he'll have a little more punch, but will it be enough to deal with a horse like Master of the Seas? Yeah, that's a question. I mean, but, you know, Cheryl Spite has a a good resume. That that race at Maidon was really, really, really good. Yep. Um, and then, you know, his Breeders' Cup mile was a excellent race behind Modern Games, who who kind of was a standout there and, and didn't lose by all that much. No. Um, he had trouble so last year he, in the Woodbine mile. Yeah, and, and then won three straight races, two at Tampa, one at Keeneland uh, last year. It was so weird to me when he ran in the Sal- the Salvador mile. Remember we talked about that? I think yeah. we were doing a, a, a stable duel show that week, you and me and Maddie, and we were looking at the Monmouth races because he was coming off of those three. Re- even the Turf Classic, we could have just said, okay, the mile and an eighth is too far for him, right? But he was yeah. only three to one in that race, and then he went and ran on the dirt. It was just like a weird choice to, to run in that spot when he was becoming one of the better older turf horses at the time. I think. I think the uh, the owner wanted to get him sure. some, some black type on the dirt. Yeah, yeah. And 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 he and you see he tried it a couple times, even the Tokyo thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, again, we never know what's going on behind closed doors, right? The conversations that are had, or things that they see in the mornings, or things that the riders might tell them, or like you say with the owners. But it it was when you're looking at the page, it's sort of like, dang, that you can yeah, say not really good. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed strange to do at the time when there wasn't much dirt form at all to speak of, but he, we, we talk about horses with patterns, the way they're set up. This was the game plan race to come back to. And so whatever he's got, I feel like you're going to get the best of it on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, you can see that pattern though. They kind of did the same thing last year. Yep. And it worked out that he ended up running better in the, Breeders Cup mile than he did in the Woodbine mile. I don't know if that's the case, and it very well may be, um, because that that mile race probably is going to be a little bit wide open. Um, Maybe this sharpens him up even more, right? Maybe it's right. Like so you kind of have to tread forward. lightly. Yeah, and that's it's of the other races we found some favorites that we thought were vulnerable. It just doesn't sound like you and I th- feel that way about Master of the Seas as much in here. No, he, he, he looks like the goods, um, yeah, I agree. you know, his form, he he's run way better races than 98% of this field. Yeah. Um, you know, the only other horse that's run similar would be Cheryl Spite. And I think that one's up against it. Ice chocolate comes from way downtown. You know, I, I just think my sea cottage, if anybody's going to upset, that's the one. And I, like, I, 
I ice chocolate ran really well last time out, right? Yeah. Like he did. And his last four or five races, look who he's been behind. Just needs to I'm just, set up. That's yeah. the problem. It's like, are you the way I'm playing it out in my head? If it's him and master of the seas next to each other, right. And they come closing together. I'm, I'm thinking he's going to out finish master of the seas. Yeah. You know that I, I like in my head, I don't know, you know, like in, I was doing the same thing you're doing. If master of the seas gets beat, I think it's from someone that's either war bomber or my sea cottage. Yes, I think it's the horse that get the jump on him. That's either sitting second or on the lead, you know, because war bomber, he like, I want to like him more. He's, he's really honest and he fights and he tries hard. I just don't think he's quite this good. Like I, you know, I, think yeah, I, I don't he, think turf is his best surface anyway. He, um, he kind of, he really fell into it. And that would be what I was would be hoping again. Right. He just sort of falls right into the same sort of trip, but his race was super honest and he's a fighter. And the way that we're mapping it out, it's probably my sea cottage first with, um, you know, war bomber second early with Cheryl Spate third early. And then the other three closers kind of picking their spots. Yep. Kind of waiting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just think it, it just looks like this, this, it's going to be really slow up front. Yeah. And my no, Cod is going to have a big advantage if, if uh, he gets to the lead and, and kind of holds position. And Dylan is, is as good as it gets on the lead too. I mean, people don't talk about him much because of the colony that he rides in normally because he's you really have Irad, good. Jose, but he's awfully good. He has good hands. He, he knows you saw how he did um, with Ozara in the last race, mm -hmm. how he, he's a great judge of pace. I, I think he can pull it off. I've been, it's been about a year and a half to two years where you've really seen the jump that he's made. Oh yeah. You know, and he's, and he's riding just, better horses too. That's what, and that's what happens, right? It's a, it's yep. a, it's a two way street, right? You start to make a, you, you have one or two of those rides that people notice. They start to give you better horses and then it all comes together for you. And you get to have days like this where he goes up and has mounts in all four graded stakes races. Right. That's you what know? you want to be. You got to have a chance at, at, at scoring. I mean, yep. that's, what betters want, jockeys want, owners want, everybody wants that. They have some really big races earlier in the sequence. This race is just a field of six, but it does have intrigue when you have a very, very classy horse shipping in. And then the possibilities and the prospects of, can you beat this horse? What does the pace look like? Master of the Seas will be very, very tough if he can get a trip. And that's another thing. In a shorter field, you're just less likely to deal with traffic right? Things like that. Like he could, he should really have every opportunity in here to show his stuff. Master of the seas. Barry, let's close this thing out, my friend. Let's move yes, to sir. race number 10. So the pick five closes out in race number 10, which is a mile and an eighth first level allowance race on the synthetic. You got a horse named JP Hellish who was running over at your neck of the woods for a while at Gulfstream Park. And then he was claimed, he came over to Woodbine and he won by 11 lengths on the front end. He has the inside draw and he's sort of, you know, he's, he's a real key to the race because he's really, really fast. If nobody else goes with him, he has the prospect of doing what he did last time out. The horse yeah. right next door is, is stretching out from some sprints though. He doesn't have like, he's to me, the one that maybe is like a little bit of a wild card to push him. If, if he, you know, stretching out to a mile and an eighth here, how do you see this thing playing out? Yeah, I, I, I took a second look at that horse, um, Army Corps, and, and that horse could really <laughs> screw things up for J.P. Yeah, right. Hellish. 
but I, I just don't think he's fast enough. Um, you know, uh, JP Hellish should have the run of the race. I, I thought in this sequence, JP Hellish is the most likely winner. I had a hard time leaving him out of any rolling exotics. And if you're playing the pick five, like, like we're saying, I'm probably going to be a little shorter in the last two and a little deeper in the first couple. And those are where I chuck the favorites out mm-hmm. in the, the first legs of the sequence. But because of the prospects, like you said, you know, there are versions of this race where maybe the two does push him, but yeah. I don't know if the two, like if the two pushes the one, they're both done. I don't think oh, the yeah. two, like, I don't think it's going to be like the two pushes him and then falls into it. I think if he just is faster because he's been coming out of sprint races and the one and two go, then it probably sets up for, I thought for the more logical, like grinders. The one that I like a little bit is called Kurt um, with the blinks yes. coming on. Cause I think yes. if the blinkers can get him just a little closer, if we, we look at the last four races that he's run, he was behind Lord of war who was a wire-to-wire winner. Um, so he wasn't able to make up any ground in that race. Two starts back, he's behind Kerouac. And take a look. Kerouac, <laughs> wire-to-wire winner, right? So those races don't shape up well for him. Now, this could also be a race where J.P. Hellish goes wire-to-wire. But if you're looking for horses to beat J.P. Hellish, and if we're thinking, okay, if that's the case, it's because J.P. Hellish got pushed, got Tired, didn't want to go the mile in an eighth. I think this is one of the horses who can capitalize most if we did get that that pace meltdown. Well, yeah, I mean, I know myself personally being the self-proclaimed king of the <laughs> no chalk zone. The first question I ask when I open up the PPs is, how is the favorite going to lose? Yep. And, and you know, I, I looked every which way possible in this race and couldn't come up with any scenario where anybody's going to get in front of JP Ellis early. And that's, and that's what's what's hard. And that's what's hard to, 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 you know, it's like, what do you do? I mean, you don't want to take chalk, but if that's the horse that is the most likely winner and looks great on paper, then you got to take them. Uh, I mean, army U S army Corps haven't seen that horse on the lead for a while. Like 2021, he was going these longer races, albeit at, at a, at a, you know, a a, seven for a level. Yeah. But, he was showing speed, but hasn't done that in a while. Um, not so it's not hard to say that he get, can't. But but when we haven't seen it and they get a little bit older, sometimes you wonder right. if they've lost some of that zip. It's, right. They just change and they want to come off the pace instead of being up front. They don't want to get as aggressive early and, and kind of save it for later. That's what it looks like. I mean, I mean that's a yeah. six-year-old. Um, but, yeah, the other one that kind of caught my eye is uh, Rapper Zapper. It looks like this horse improved since being off the layoff. I know it took this horse a long time to break mm-hmm. the maiden, but if you look at those races after March, so you see the March layoff, those that July race and then the August so, race were really good. Touch and ride. Um, this is a horse who was in the, the King's plate. He actually earned the best buyer of any horse going into the King's plate for that race. He earned a 91 in winning that race and was really impressive there so like that was a good field there like that like he comes out of some strong races and that was a strong race and then they gave him a softer spot and he did what you're supposed to do he crushed in the softer spot again you get a very very good local rider who's one of the top two or three riders i have no problems 
in this I race mean, with Rapper Zapper. If you're trying to beat the favorite and you're using some other horses, that distance won't be a problem for him. Third start off of the form cycle. He was a horse who you could tell they took forever to, to like even get him some class relief because they liked him. They didn't want to mm-hmm. just drop him in class at any point. And it seems like you're, you're just were a lot of physical issues because when he would run and have like a race under his belt, he usually ran really well. Well, I mean, if you look at his the way he started his career back in 2021 in August, he showed improvement. And then it, it seems like he something went wrong and he got yep. hurt. Yep. Um, and then he came back. He came back well at Delaware and at Laurel. Yeah. And then he kind of faded. Same sort of thing, right? Right. Like, some some goes wrong with him in the as soon as he starts off. to get that improvement going, and and that's what's hard is like we say with horse racing, it's not always linear. You know, you don't always have mm-hmm. a straight line of getting to where where you're going. And uh, for a horse like this, rapper zapper, maybe he's on the way to better. Um, well, another yeah. thing too is. You know, we've seen a lot of these other horses. Yeah, we know I mean, who they are. Got, yeah, like, even Cruden Bay, like he could absolutely just wear down the like the leader and fall into it at a mile and an eighth. I I like Call Kurt, even though he's beaten Call Kurt twice. I like Call Kurt better than him because I think Call Kurt, if the one loses, it'll be because there's more speed and Kurt can run by this horse. I think more yeah, than he's been keeping better company. Yeah, too general. and. Yeah, overall. So it's it's all going to come down to the one from the inside. Yep. And uh, and maybe the rival right next door. Can U.S. Army Corps push this horse? Does he even want to try to push this horse? And is J.P. Hellish going to give him hell to close out that pick five in race number 10? That is on Saturday at Woodbine. It's a huge day with four graded stakes races on the card and the grade one Woodbine Mile. You have two other grade ones for two-year-olds, and we will see a lot of these horses back in uh, less than a month in the Breeders' Cup and some of the uh, the two-year-old races going long and maybe in the Breeders' Cup mile for some of these horses in the Woodbine mile. Just a reminder, once again, to let everybody know some of the specifics for this weekend. There is a contest on Saturday, and you have until Friday the 15th at noon Eastern to register. You can do so and play through Express Bet. And all the details for Turf Champions Day, three grade one races, a $250,000 guaranteed late pick four and pick five, and then a $100,000 guaranteed early pick five. Woodbine.com for all the details. They'll give you free DRF digital pass performances there. Barry, my friend, it's been a blast handicapping with you. Next week, we'll... uh, we'll look around and see wherever the big races are. Maybe we'll dive into something happening at, uh, at, aqueduct or we'll see what's going on at woodbine and then in the next few weeks we'll have some keeneland to dive into oh yeah can't wait for that um you know this this weekend is very very good weekend up at at woodbine i mean you know for a a period of time that we kind of have a lull in the racing this this is is the best thing going Yeah, yeah yeah this is like really really is you're right and they're smart and they've done a really smart job where they've placed these days on the calendar now you know, this is something that you and uh, your partner, Chuck, talk about a lot of the time where it's like, you'll look around, there'll be like four races for three-year-old males all on the same weekend. And they all have fields of five, you know, but yeah, so Woodbine, horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> they know now that Saratoga just ended. There's nothing, Delmar just ended. And there's a couple weeks where there's only racing at LaSalle and there's not as much in SoCal. So you know what? Woodbine gets a chance to be the major spotlight this weekend. 
Very smart. Very, very smart. Barry, buddy, you have a fantastic weekend. Good luck in all of your plays. I'll be going back and forth with you. Let's make some money, my friend. Let's do it. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. If you're listening on the podcast, we have plenty more to come. If you're watching the videos online, thanks so much. And uh, make sure to head to woodbine.com for anything you need. Racing has shifted over to Aqueduct, the Belmont at the Big A meet. And for every racing day, DRF Daily Racing Form has you covered. You can get past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports each and every day at drf.com and those past performances that we're going to dive into the daily racing form formulator past performances you can actually get those for free when you sign up for a drf bets account go sign up for an account and use the promo code winning they'll give you all the way up to a 250 dollars deposit match bonus and they'll give you a 10 dollars free bet plus they'll give you what we're looking at right now a free past performance for 10 different cards then every time you bet 50, you get credit for another one. So if you're betting through DRF bets, you won't have to spend money on past performances anymore. Let's see what we can find on Saturday. Belmont at the Big A. A couple races that were on my radar. Race number three is where we will start. And we're going to take a look at the number three in here. Miss Our Hero is a three-year-old filly who is just bred beautifully for the turf. So in her debut, she's on a muddy sealed track at Saratoga. I think we just put a line right through it. I'm not concerned at all about her race on a sloppy track when this is a turf race. What I am taking as a positive out of that race is the fitness that she was able to get. She went long first time out, so she gains fitness. And following that, she's able to come back and work a couple more times. So she's going to be way fitter than if she just debuted in this race. Let's look at her pedigree. Her dam was a four-time winner on the turf, was a stakes winner, and was really nice. Didn't do a whole lot wrong in her career. She was in the money in 8 of 11. All three siblings won. Force ranking is 2 for 3. Never tried the turf. Princess Door was a multiple winner. Tried the turf twice. One of those races ran really well. Finished third in a maiden special weight, going a, going a mile. Soothsaying only had one career race, and it was first time out of the box winning, going long on the turf. So there's definitely turf in this pedigree. And I'm expecting a big step up from Miss Our Hero, making career start number two, bred up and down for the grass. She'll get to have that fitness now with the race under her belt. Five to one on the morning line. Anything above seven to two will take a swing on Miss Our Hero. Let's move to race number five. Let's take a look at the number seven in here. Scramble. Oh, this is, we got to watch this race. This was a brutal, brutal beat for Scramble last time out. He's four to one on the morning line. He fits really well in here. But I mean, like, go through his career, career debut. He loses to General Jim. General Jim comes back to win next out. But General Jim is a graded stakes winner. He's a multiple graded stakes winner. So debut loses to a multiple graded stakes winner, General Jim. Comes back in his second start. Look who he runs into there. Activist Investing. We also had another next out winner named Royal Velvet, but Activist Investing comes back to win his next start. Okay, it just can't keep happening to poor Scramble, right? He can't keep running into these really nice horses like Ari Gold, who is able to go gate to wire 
and come back and win next time out. There was also another next out winner in there. So unlucky. Again, he just keeps running into these really, really sharp horses. How about in his fourth start? He hicks a horse named Santorini. And this is a nice horse. This is a, a horse who is stakes placed. I don't practice Santorini. <laughs> Santoria, right? A little sublime, little, little sublime humor for everyone. Uh, Scramble then runs into Kalik, who's a graded stakes winner, won the Pennon Ridge, and was favored in the King's Plate. So look at every race that Scramble has been in. Nice quality horses. On June the 25th, he's behind program trading, who was second as your beaten favorite in the Virginia Derby after winning the Saratoga Derby grade one. And it just feels like Scramble fits really well in here. It's hard to knock any of his races. Is he become maybe a little bit of a horse that settles for minor awards? Okay. But I've just showed you all the horses that he's settled behind. Any one of those horses would be a heavy favorite in a spot like this or if he were to face them again. So it just feels like a really, really good opportunity for Scramble. Now we got to watch the race. I showed you all the company that he's faced. This was disgusting if you backed Scramble last time and you needed him. He was number four in this race. That's what's nice about these daily racing form, the formulator past performances. One click and you're right there watching replays. So Scramble has a fine start, settles fifth, kind of backs up. And he's down on the inside. It's only a field of, it's a field of nine here. So he ends up settling yeah, maybe sixth or so down inside. I'd say he's about four to five off. And he's always traveling pretty well throughout this race. It's a, a mile in a, a 16th race. And he's in the third flight here as Antares shows the way, feel the soldiers up front. And then the pace will start to quicken a little bit. But Scramble has never been worse than third. He's just coming off of a runner-up effort right here that we're going to see where it was his co-career best buyer speed figure, and he is trending in the right direction. Okay, now he's traveling well. Got to start to pick where you want to go. Gets a really nice split as he starts to loom up into contention. And I watched this thing a few times. I really thought he won the race. This is as brutal of a bob as you will see. Here comes the four. Nice split. Tips out, okay, asks for some run, and now he starts to build up that momentum. And look, here comes Scramble, trying to run down, taking candy. We've got the separation there. Scramble's coming, and just a sickening beat. The three gets the bob of a lifetime back here. Watch this thing as they slow it down. Oh, I thought the four was way by and watching this back a few different times. Scramble. Can't quite get there. Look at the three reach the neck out. You're by if you're on scramble. Oh, like that's so sick. That's so. Oh, oh, like you are in front about a jump and a half from the wire and the bob of life for the number three taking candy in that one. I'm going to get back to scramble one more time. We don't want to get over bet here, though. Uh, he might get over bet because of that company, because of that race. One to look at in the eighth race, you know, if you're playing any sort of late rolling exotics here, I did think Jake rocks has a chance to be the, the, maybe the, the fastest. He's also got a little versatility to him. He can sit off in here, but if he can get the lead cutting back, 
could be really tough. Now he's a hard horse to trust. He had a voided claim last time out. But when he's out on the track, he usually gives you a really nice account of himself. He's very honest. I'm going to throw him into my late exotics here, Jake Rocks. And then another speedy play right next door where the outside runner, Eternal Hope, classy, hands down the one to beat in here. But there's not very much early speed. It's going to come down to Nietzsche Marie, the three, and the two quarrel. I don't really think the three is that fast. I think there have been a couple times when I watched her races where she sort of, by default, was one of the quicker and was handled aggressively. I think Coral is just a lot faster, naturally. Coral went wire to wire last time out. Let's see if she can take this field wire to wire in the grade three Jockey Club Oaks Invitational. The 10th and final, nothing real crazy. I just thought the there were a couple of Captain Obvious horses for me to use in here. Into Stars should just be so much better on the turf. Star Billing was a grade one winner. Mo Bills has just won two in a row on the grass. So there's a lot of good grass breeding in this pedigree. And he ran well. She ran well in her debut. And not a wassie, that race in Ireland, this horse stood in the gate at the start, was towards the rear, kept to the outside, and really got going late. So maybe, you know, those two. Street view for George Weaver. I think David Grenning posted earlier, Weaver is 15 for 37 with two-year-olds this year. What? He has three that'll likely be in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Street view for a barn who has been firing with all the two-year-olds. Couple plays for Saturday, Belmont at the Big A. Good luck, and make sure to head to drf.com for everything you need for Belmont at the Big A. They have the handicapping tools you need to succeed. Best of luck. We move from horse racing and on over to this week in wrestling. Chad Cooper joins us to talk about everything happening in the world of AEW with Dynamite, Collision, WWE with Raw and SmackDown, and then NXT. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. He's also 4-2 in his college football bets so far this year. He dishes out a couple more, tries to stay in uh, in on the positive, in winning form, Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. I'm trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. In the background, that means it's time for another edition <laughs> this week in wrestling. Now, we do have to uh, do a, an attendance check here. One, <laughs> two. Dude. We've got two. So that is confirmed, Chad. Chad Cooper, Whoa. Gino Bacola, we are both here with you. Starting on off that, hot, folks. That's what she said <laughs> this week in wrestling. I think it's really funny in, in wrestling. We are joking about the attendance figures, how they've always been beefed up, right? This is something sure. that WWE... Oh, yeah. And yeah. WWF have done for years. But what is so funny is that over the last couple of years, AEW, who you and I can be a little negative about, and in the grand scheme of things, overall, they've been a very positive, good wrestling company um, when you compare them to everyone else through the years. The the problem I think that I've always that I've had is that they sort of came out firing 
against WWE trying to say, oh, we, we're going to compete. We're going to beat them. We're going to have better ratings, better numbers. And then they tried to act like, well, WWE does things one way. We're going to be honest. We're always going to be <laughs> yes, honest. Transparent. You know, we're going to tell you everything that's happening and we're always going to be real with you. And we found out, <laughs> I guess, that the number from AEW um, that they had for All In, which was announced at around 82,000, was actually closer to the 72,000 number. And see why this is, why this was not a smart idea. WWE doesn't care at this point. Vince doesn't no, care. No, no, no. About that kind of thing. But you. Didn't if you never announced the eighty thousand number and you just went with the seventy thousand number, that number is an incredible number. Impressive, but, right? We would have all said, "Oh my god, I cannot believe they actually had seventy thousand plus people there." But now, since you told us it was eighty plus <laughs> and it's down, it just seems like it. it it's a it, you got a bad taste in your mouth because of it. These are the types of things that you wonder, like, with do they have enough people behind the scenes? Like in the production rooms telling Tony Khan, hey, this is a good idea. Do this or don't do this or how we should do that. Because it seems like it's the little things with them. And uh, it adds up. Those little things mm-hmm. adds up. They, they do. do. They do. Well, you start- and look, and look uh, there's, uh, colleges do this. I mean, I've been to multiple college oh, football games and basketball event. games and said, oh, there's 10,000 people. Uh, no, I was here. There was 2,500. You know, it happens. But when you... We've sold out before any matches have been announced. It just makes it look bad. And the track record is not becoming good. And what really makes it worse, Gino, is when you come back from that over to the United States and see the live television crowds or TNA impact level crowds. It's rough. That's rough. It's also, I don't care when places 45,000, 52,000, you know what I mean? Difference of numbers, but... They were definitely trying to get the biggest number ever here. That's ever. also yeah. that's yeah. also a thing, right? It's like, well, I, I never know what WWE's numbers are, but like, if you're if you're really going out on a we're gonna break the record thing, just be sure about it. Be I think sure. I think Xavier Woods made a comment about he it. He did. Oh, on Raw the other day, he made a comment about it. Like he took a little a little shot. Hey, but we wrestled in front of eighty two thousand. We really wrestled in front of eighty two thousand. <laughs> and now, as you pointed out, we come back here, and instead of talking about how incredible it was for AEW to sell seventy thousand plus tickets, we're talking about how oh well they sold eighty thousand, but there was only really seventy thousand people there. Right? It just yeah. It, they Weird. they gotta present the they have to feed us the information better. Right? It's we always talk about it like you book this stuff. We don't we wouldn't have known unless they told us. And then if somebody just found out, oh yeah, I went to the you know the public records and there were seventy two thousand people actually there, we all would have been like, Wow. That's that a lot. Awesome. That's a great number. <laughs> Instead, the, <laughs> the reaction's slightly different. Let's start since we're talking about the AEW, let's start over on that side. So over the last couple of weeks, they've had a tournament to get to the uh, Grand Slam, whoever is going to be your number one contender. Now, this is like another thing where I feel like AEW kind of stumbled onto something pretty good. And now they they kind of put themselves in a corner because in the finals of this tournament, they had Samoa Joe versus Roderick Strong. And it felt like both guys were we're kind of pretty good options right now 
to be in a world title match against MJF because they both had little little buildups. The only thing is Samoa Joe feels like the most over he's been since he's been in AEW. Like he actually feels like someone that you can get a main event at a pay-per-view out of. I don't know if you'd want to waste I, I don't want to say waste, but I don't know if you put Joe versus MJF on TV in a couple weeks. If it were me, I would have done I would have put Roderick in the match. I would have had Joe lose in a way where it was like they cheated. Joe doesn't really get beat or pinned. Maybe Joe even goes off and disqualifies himself because he goes crazy on Roderick Strong. And then you can keep telling the story with Roderick, with Cole, with MJF. That can be blown off on TV. And then you can build to the next pay-per-view where you've got Joe and MJF. Because I feel like Joe and MJF actually kind of out of nowhere feels like a a semi-big match. I'm a big fan of Joe, Chad. I think he's been doing really good work. And there were some instances last night where you're looking at the, the in the ring, it's like Moxley, Claudio, you know, it's like all WWE guys, <laughs> Danielson, you have Joe. And I mean, Joe's just a pro, man. Like he goes out there and he's got a presence, whether it's in ring or on the mic. The The issue with Joe has never been his work. It's just been staying healthy. That's been the number one thing. And let's not yep. forget he's the ROH world or whatever ROH champion. I don't know if they call it world. It is. Um, I, I, it, it, I'm with you in one instance. I think Joe MJL, MJF feels really, really big. And it's the first time, I'll be honest, honest with you, it really does. It feels bigger than MJF and Adam Cole. It, it does. does. It yeah. just does nothing, not to take anything away from Adam Cole. I know they had some good, funky, feel good, funny segments for TV. I never really invested in them. I know they're the ROH tag team champions, correct? And I think but, what, and I think what happened too, Chad, is it felt like because this, because that storyline was getting so much uh, pop, like popular response, they extended it. Like that sure. thing was supposed to end it all in. And, oh, it yeah, was supposed yeah. to be different. But they said, you know what? These guys are good together. People like it. Let's go with it. And they've basically turned MJF full babyface now. Like they can't go back with him now. Like he's cutting the babyface promos. He's like the full on babyface. If he tries to pull some Weasley stuff, it's we're not going to ever believe him ever. So now he's like he's on that babyface path, which is which is fine. Um, I. I like what Joe's doing. I just feel I, I get worried sometimes because I'm I'm always with you. Like I'm not necessarily a hot shot booker, but I'm more of a when things are going well, I try to slide that person in right now. I don't get well I, we talked well, we talked about why have a tournament now with Joe in it. I know, I know didn't, that's what I mean. It. I don't know why you needed to do that instead of just have a couple more weeks to build up Joe. Joe is already uh, a, and let's be honest, these wrestling fans that are AEW wrestling fans are not new wrestling fans. I would bet you, Gino, a large amount of money that these aren't for there's a small percentage of AEW fans are first time wrestling fans. Would you agree mm -hmm. with me on that? Yes. So with that said. I don't think you need to build Samoa Joe as a stone-cold killer because that's the way he's built since back in the Ring of Honor, Impact, and WWE slash NXT days. Now, yeah, it does look good. I like the story that they told in the match. Um, the finish was a, 
okay. Um, I did think it was very funny that Roderick Strong again got the next neck brace put on him and he's yelling at Adam Cole and Adam Cole's out there. Adam! I, <laughs> I just don't, you know, the kingdom comes out. We get them involved. See how it gets started to get it convoluted again. Yes. I just don't know how much of a stone, more of a stone cold killer we need Joe for MJF. But I did like. Samoa Joe saying, I'm going to take everything that is yours, MJF, and that is that world title. So uh, what we're doing with Moxley now, he's sort of the guy that opens the show. Um, he's the new Orange Cassidy. Mm-hmm. He is. And we got he is. And not, not, not big, in a bad way. I'm just saying. Big Bill out there. <laughs> which, so a couple positives. Um, you know what? Big Cass, Big Bill, he's improved a lot. He is. You can he see is. it. So he's done... Like, he's got a good presence in the ring, and I think he's best when he's paired with someone like a Ricky Starks, right? This almost sure, feels like sure. an Enzo upgrade. Enzo, um, yeah. It's and like you, you can't got Enzo. teach that, you know. Press upgrade on the button, and then it becomes Ricky Starks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just a <laughs> little bit funny. bigger, a little bit better in the ring, just kind of <laughs> like a, overall more polished. Um, yeah. So Mox picks up the win here. What I'm concerned about and and I'm I'm really starting to notice this on AEW who are the Blackpool Combat Club are they heels or baby faces <laughs> that is a good point am I supposed to root for them or not because Moxley's out there he's just really being a badass and then sure. you've got bleeding Jansen. again yeah you've got five minutes I think the girl from Wrestling Inc. did a counter it was like four minutes and 36 seconds (laughs) there's a counter now yeah um so you've got Moxley who's just kind of himself and a badass you've got Brian Danielson who's like now a baby face he just stood up for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and then you've got Wheeler Yuta and Claudio who are doing like dastardly things and they're feuding with Kingston you literally have like every member of the Blackpool Combat Club is like a different character. Babyface one, the other is a heel, and the other is a tw- there two are heels, and the other is a tweener. It it's just what ends up happening with this, and it's the same thing with storylines. And uh, like some fans will roll their eyes and say, "Yeah, I just want good matches." Then and that's fine if you're someone who just likes good matches. It's fine. And wrestling gets made fun of. I remember the episodes of South Park where they're doing the, the wrestling, you know, and it's oh, like yeah, the, soap, yeah. the soap operas and they're in the back, you know, and they're yeah. doing the, but, and it's a joke and it, and people laugh at it, but it, it's about yeah. the drama and the story that makes us care. Um, yeah. Are I we think, supposed to boo Ray Phoenix in this now? Cause he's, I don't, why am I like, so next week I'm going to, this week I was cheering Moxley because he was wrestling against heels. But then next week, I'm going to cheer him. Didn't he take a screwdriver to Phoenix's head? Uh, Yes. So, like, I'm supposed to be – so then next week, he's going to be in a situation where he's not supposed to be the heel. I know they were in Ohio, I believe, so that's close to where Moxley is. So he's probably always going to get a positive reception there. But – I, I just I don't like the week-to-week stuff we don't know. No, it's just one no, thing that's it's a killer in, no, in wrestling. Well, there's no week-to-week building, and there's no – there's zero long-term stuff. And any of the – the only things that are good are things that are long-term. I, I heard – I think it was Wade Keller say it last night. Could you imagine just starting a TV show in the middle of, like, season two and and then – 
For example, um, on this episode, we had Don Callis come out. He's one of the few people that gets real heat too, right? Like he actually gets booed on the show. So he comes out. I don't think anyone really believes that Takeshita is this awful heel, though. We all, like, he doesn't do anything. He's a great wrestler, but he doesn't do anything that comes off dastardly. Uh, He's beaten Kenny Omega a couple times, but then Don Callis starts to talk about Kota Ibushi. I know a little bit about Kota Ibushi. You know a little bit about Kota Ibushi. A little, not much, but a little. But you and I are recording this show... And we've watched every episode of AEW Dynamite they've had in four years. They've never told you anything about the history of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi on Dynamite. So if you were, it, it would be like if you were watching a brand new TV show and in the third season, in the middle, they brought in a character that you felt like you, why don't I know anything about this character? Why don't I know about their backstory? It's, we, it just doesn't happen. On TV shows, because sure. then they, they'll tell you a story or they'll do a, a a flashback, right? Where you see what happened a couple years ago. We don't get we don't get that. How many people are watching this going, why am I supposed to care that Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega have a connect? I got I don't I don't understand. We've only seen Kota Ibushi on Dynamite a few times. He's never really talked, and Kenny's never even told us why about the connection with Kota Ibushi. It's like you you got to do your own homework to find it out. And and it, it it's a problem with with the overall story, the week to week building and just assuming that everyone is going to know or that by the time the matches come around they're going to be good so it doesn't matter. Well, we're seeing now, Chad, every time they go back to a, a certain city, the crowds are less and less and less. I I wonder why that is, and I I think it's because we can Investment. all right exactly. I mean, you're going to have wrestling fans that come to Beaumont, Texas, Los Angeles, wherever mid, Middle America or big city. Oh, we're going to go to wrestling. We just are. We're going to go to professional wrestling. But at the end of the day, like I I told you during the segment, I, I I'm a big Don Callis fan. I love the I love his work when he's on the mic. I think he brought. Especially there at the end of Impact, when he was around, he brought a, a, a different brand to the commentary. I just think here, I'm not the biggest New Japan pro, pro wrestling fan, and that's fine. I'm not going to be invested in every storyline in professional wrestling. Same with WWE. There's some storylines I don't get. I'm not invested in them. But it just seems like we're, we're going back to something that, again... The average AEW wrestling fan is not going to know about this. There's a small percentage that know the internet, um, the hardcore internet fans do. But what about someone that's just flipping the channels? They don't. And I think that's the most important fan. Don't you agree with me? That's the guy or that's the young lady you want sticking around every Wednesday night. Well, that's the difference between 750,000 and a million, unfortunately. That that, that, that is a good point. That's the difference between where they are right now, 800,000-ish and 900 to a million. Those are the people that you need to hook. And for as much as WWE gets crap, because I will agree, sometimes we're rolling our eyes going, we're getting a third recap of that. We just saw that. But they make sure that if you're out, that you know what's going on. And sometimes it's about 
the long term, right? Sometimes you sacrifice the immediate rating for telling a story. I'm watching a show right now on Disney Plus called Ahsoka. It's a Star Wars show. I'm not going to give any spoilers about it or anything, but we're recapping it here on this show. And the first like two episodes, they're a little slow in that there's they just show a lot of things happening between two of these characters and maybe things that they didn't need to show all the time. But then by the time we get to the third and the fourth episode and the action starts to pick up, you actually care about the relationship between these two people because they've spent time building it. Now we have a reason to care. Why why do I or don't I care about any of these wrestlers like getting beat? That's the problem. We always say, oh, they're going to have a great match. Doesn't really matter who wins and loses. It should in wrestling. Most of the time in wrestling – well, it's supposed people, to in this in this company, right? And in and in in this business overall, more of the time, people buy a ticket because they want to see someone get their ass kicked or get their face punched <laughs> in, than even because they like someone. Like bad heels and hateable heels have been people that sell you and bring you in, like to get to buy a ticket. And right now, you don't really have that on the roster. Like you said, you've got Don Callis, who people boo. Then, well, let me ask you this, Gino. Honestly, in in, in there's not a wrong answer. Watching a pro wrestling t- uh, television show, whether it's WWE or AEW, would you rather see another recap that's a couple of minutes long that maybe you've seen before, or maybe you haven't, or maybe it's a you know a different version of it, or a a, a thirty to forty five second squash match inside the ring? Absolutely. And then we go to commercial. It's- Absolutely another recap, especially yes. when it's about some of your bigger storylines. There should be good ten, answer. Good like answer. Ten ish or so people that you need to make sure we're always seeing, we're always hearing about that we don't forget about ever. Yep. Right now, they have collision. But now what's starting to happen is no CM Punk on collision. You gotta you have storylines over there that if you're not refreshing us about over here on dynamite people are going to forget they're going to forget what happened on collision with moxley they're going to forget what might have happened on collision there you've got to remind us you've got to show us again and they just haven't been doing that quite enough and now, there, 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 there was a segment i think it was not to take control of your show please do you know. I think it was the one right after this, or maybe it was right after we went back to Moxley and Danielson again. There was Hook, and Hook uh, is the, what, the FTW champion, and he's upset. He's talking to Renee, and I love Renee. I've been her number one fan for a long time, but I do think there's so much Renee on AEW interviewing people, it just feels like the same interview over and over to me. And, well, they're not really giving her personality either. It, no, and I don't like Renee that. Is- she, and she had a great, as Renee Young, she was she could do a lot of things in WWE. Well, because she was, she was like Mean Jean in a different way. Yes. She would interject herself into interviews and put that cigarette out. You know what I mean? Like, she would say things. <laughs> no, she does won't. a little bit with Tony Storm. That has been yeah, fun. We'll give her that. Been, and, but, <clears throat> but I agree with you. And, it's not... And, it's just, hey, here's Renee, sure, and not sure. letting Renee be Renee. It's, it, I don't think they're telling her not to be, but no, it's like no. she's on it's there just so, so often. much, so much. Yeah, and this was the one thing I worried about after Moxley won the international championship from Orange Cassidy, and Orange Cassidy, you and I have both said has been 
yeah, there's several bright spots, okay? But he has been one of the most uh, positive uh, week-to-week, positive week-to-week, consistent bright spots. What's going to happen to Orange Cassidy after uh, Moxley goes over? Well, it looks like he and Hook now may have something. Does that interest you at all? No, Hook kind of walks. Say, Hook kind of walks away after Orange Cassidy gives him a compliment, and then Cassidy kind of says, or "Renee says, well, how do you feel about that?" OC, I'm tired. Now, Ugh, I'm I don't a know. little bit. I'm worried about him, Orange Cassidy. I think we're get, yeah, I think we're going to get goofy again. We're going to get goofy ago, with him again. We were at your your peak with him. Um, if he's injured and he can't wrestle right now, that's, that's one fun. thing. I, that's I'll one buy thing. whatever. I'll 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 buy it. But I'm I'm feeling about him the way I felt about Hook, the way you felt about Wardlow, the way you felt about uh, Action Andretti, the way you felt about A.R. Fox, the way you felt about Nick Wayne, the way you felt about a lot of these guys and gal, um, yeah. the way you felt about, uh, was it Commander? You know, the way you felt about some of these guys that come in, have a great match, feel like you're going to get something out of them. And then they're not much. And like I look at this show. Again, I don't know if guys and gals are injured or not. You got a guy getting all the heat in the world. The only real guy on your show that gets a bunch of heat. Where is like where is Kenny Omega to counter all this heat that Don Callis is getting? It would be the perfect time for your big baby face Kenny Omega. But now I wonder, because they turned MJF baby face. Oh. Are they going to do that right now? It's not like you're not going to get this baby face, baby right. face. Two of them, we may never get that. Are you it, okay it, with that? I don't know because we, like I said, is is there never, not uh, Gino? Hold on, is there not room enough for two hours, one hour on Friday, and now two hours on Saturday? Because what's his name is gone, right? There's not enough time to have two mega baby faces in this company. They don't. Come on, man! Do a good job of 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 presenting it that way. You know, I'm watching. Uh, again, I keep I keep comparing this to TV shows. I'm watching different shows on TV. In the four years that AEW Dynamite has been there, how many times, or how long, or how often has it actually felt like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were major characters on this TV show? Where are they every week cutting a promo? Why don't they have a segment at the very least every week if they're not wrestling? We never, if if Cody isn't on a show, it's like, where the hell's Cody? If Seth Rollins is always there. We always see Sammy or KO. And if we don't see one of them, it's because they were somewhere else traveling or in a big, like, doing something else for WWE. We, like... I, I don't, why don't we see the, like, have the Young Bucks ever cut a promo? This was another thing I'm taking from, like, listening to Wade Keller last night. If they're supposed to be such big characters, how come we don't see them week in, week out with all this development in storyline, segments, things going more and more and more? We've never got that with them. We've never got that with Kenny Omega, who are supposed to be your biggest characters, your larger-than-life characters. Um, I don't. I, that that bothers me a little bit because I don't know why they've just never gone with their 
like their best wrestler at the baby face and their best tag team and just let those guys be that. And, and Gino, we've been saying it until we're blue in the face. We have beat on a dead horse about AEW for certain things. Well, they're new. They're working themselves out. I think we finally have to come to the realization is it's not going to be that way. This, this is, is who they are. Th- this is who they are. It's, yeah. You're going <clears> to, <throat> and look, I know I'm jumping around. Your edge is going to come to AEW. Uh, we know it's going to happen. They're going to sign WWE wrestlers who are going to give them a pop um, that are going to wrestle once a week or once every other week. But for storylines, promos, and stuff like that consistently, this is not who they are. And this is what we're going to get. No. And when they put a little bit into it, they've done it. They, whether or not you and I have liked everything about it, they've at least told a story with MJF and Adam Cole. And people have been into it because they put some time telling a story. They don't do that with a lot of the divisions and a lot of the wrestlers. It's and, just out let there. Me, let, let, me, uh, let me take the reins from that. Talk about telling a story in certain divisions. This women's match got 90 seconds of TV time. And, and, this, and this is the winner who gets the number one title shot next week. On only, someone that's actually been showing some some good stuff, personality backstage, you're going to give me two minutes of this crap. Bull, and this is this is bad, Gino. This and, is bad booking. And Tony Storm should win the title back. Absolutely. And if she don't, She's, if woo, she doesn't, you're in trouble because you're real in trouble. You better make sure that you protect the heck out of her in a loss, and you've got a plan because now she's got a character. And the crowd is really into it because she's just putting a little bit of work into a character. She's doing this old starlet. She's got the Miss Marvel. That was a thing for Miss Marvel. Uh, chin up, tits out. And, you know, that was <laughs> yeah. like a line that she uh. used. And she's throwing the shoe. And she's people are loving this. And so, again, tell a little bit of a story. People are going to get into it. Swerve Scott, he's one of the best storytellers they have. And and when he comes out and he tries to tell stories, it's at least something. I'm I'm intrigued by what's going on with Swerve and with Paige. But again, now I'm worried because neither one of these guys should really take a loss right now. Coop. No, no, you know. No. They, and back and back to the women's. Do you care about? I mean, so Tony Storm defeated Nyla Rose, Britt Baker, and and Britt Sheeta. did not feel okay. like as big of a star at all, no. right? Do you do you care about? Brett and Sheeta, that storyline, I don't. No. Because no. it looks like that's going to continue. I really don't. They, I, I again, no, I'll give them another piece of credit here. I appreciate that Jericho and Sammy ha- have a story, right? And they were trying sure, to get sure. to the like sex goals, the build for them. There was something funny. Jericho was like slightly off. He almost to me looked like he was like drunk. Was or he drunk? <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, right? That's yes. so funny. It was because yes. he was just he maybe he had a little bit of the bubbly, a little bit of the bubbly yeah. because he was like, goo- he was smiling and smirking. he was a little goofy. He bumbled a few of his lines. It wasn't anything like too bad, but he started mentioning that Sammy's going to have a baby, and then he like la- he like popped himself. It was like <laughs> no wait. Sammy's not having the baby. Maybe you know, he was on the good medicine. It was funny. <laughs> he the he good might have been on some of that wacky tobacco. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, a little bit. But he he had a he had a funny energy to him last night. I like the segment. I thought they did as good a job sure. as they could. 
for some reason for me, I don't know what it is. I just have a hard time believing Sammy Guevara. Well, look, it, it's been like that with him for a long, long time. This kid I don't, is has. phenomenal in, in ring. ring. I've, Incredible. <clears throat> this kid took over the Texas indie scene years ago. That's why he's here. He deserves it. He does. But he's always had this kind of childish, and I'm not saying like in an immature way, but no, like no, a little boy smile. Um, it's, I think it's cut, some of the same baby thing face. That- that, you ha- know? that hurts Seth Rollins sometimes too. He's got like a whine, and I've I've dealt with this too. It's you've got like a whiny voice, sure. you know, sure. and it, it he doesn't come off when he's cutting a babyface promo. It almost feels like he's pr- like whining to you, and like you said, he doesn't feel badass enough to be like a dastardly heel. But he's and another thing too in on, the ring on all of that. It just seems like this has been going on in some sort of some some sort of fashion for a very long time with Jericho, the Appreciation Society. Four years. It just seems <laughs> like we're never getting out of this. We have to get out of this. And everybody uh, knows I'm that big Jericho mark. I, it, I just I, I like Jericho, but we gotta get out of this. We do. And yeah, it's been four years since the very beginning. Sammy's done some funny things here and there. I did yeah, like it yeah, when absolutely. they were singing. When like I thought the video they showed was what was really well done. It had like the music in the background, like it was like a, a you know a, a real emotional video, and they're showing yeah, Sammy yeah. doing the the singing and stuff. And yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, what did Christian say? I was scrolling through your mom's Instagram. Like he opened <laughs> up his promos saying that. I was like, I don't, I don't, I never heard somebody say that, but that was so good. I was looking through your mom's Instagram and, uh, oh, that was some good stuff from Christian Coop. We ended up with that Samoa Joe Roderick strong match, which we talked about. That was the main event. Hey, and, don't uh, forget about, look, Hangman Page wrestled for the first time he in wrestled. seven months. He wrestled. Are you Hangman. kidding me? I cannot believe it's that. His first singles match in seven Months. I wrote that down. Seven, Seven months, months for Paige. Um, Nick Wayne's mom, though. <laughs> um, does, does, does she have it going on? Nick Wayne's, Nick mom, Wayne's mom is, is gone. She's all I wanted. <laughs> that was a great one, man. Uh, Stacy, can't you see? You're hey. just not the girl for me. Gym class heroes. And you know what? They're going on tour with someone because they're coming to Houston oh. and I'm going to be there. Oh, you got it. I need a video just for that of that song. You got it. Some video of that one. Um, we. I have one more note from AEW. This is a little bit of a spoiler because they filmed something for Rampage. We see Jade Cargill make a return. She's been gone for a while. She was treated like one of the biggest stars on the roster. She had a a long winning streak going. And then it was weird. And then we would like not see her on Dynamite for long periods of time. She was doing all of her stuff on Rampage. Then she out of kind of nowhere loses her title. She only had one or two actual feuds of buildup that what we're just talking about the problem is she had 50 matches and probably three feuds. Taya, and then Marina Shafir and her her botchery of y'all know who I am. And it just yeah, and it just felt like we never could. I mean, she has the look and I'll tell you this not to steal your thunder. If the reports are true, steal it, baby. 
that's that where we're going. That she's finishing out her contract with AEW, and then all roads are indicating she's signing with the WWE. If they can't do anything with her, then she doesn't. Then nobody, have it. then nobody can. But I think they're sitting on a legit Goldberg type star that we're going to see maybe in NXT and just takes over and then works her way up. I, I think we're on to something here if, I if, too. if she does sign with the WWE. She could be a massive star. Babyface or heel. Oh yeah. Or oh, yeah. Like she's got the look. She and she's got to get better in ring. Absolutely. She does have to improve. But you don't have to be you. Everybody doesn't have to be a five star worker. Everybody doesn't, dude. This is a company that was built on the back of Hulk Hogan. Like you know, it's it's not all about just being in ring. But you do have to be good enough to where you're safe. And you can work with other good workers and not have to worry about hurting them like the gal that we may be talking about in just a moment because she's not like most <laughs> girls as we move over to the WWE and we talk some SmackDown Raw and NXT uh, on SmackDown. Uh, um, some positives that I like. I like seeing AJ picking up wins and yes. feeling like more of a big deal. And there's... There was a like a tease with AJ and Bloodline stuff. He gets a win over um, Jimmy Uso, and then we got even more of a tease. Like I could see there being something with Roman, maybe a TV match, maybe something at SummerSlam with. I think a- I think that's what we're the road we're going down to is AJ and Roman, and I I'm in for that. Me too. AJ deserves a good push again. Yep, he does. He deserves to get that uh, again, and they're they're sort of building a lot of these factions. We could see on SmackDown, LWO, we have the AJ and Gallows and Anderson. Yeah, they look have, like they, they may get involved. They, we have, uh, you know, Judgment Day, obviously. We have Bloodline, obviously. So lots of factions being built up with some uh, with Survivor Series not far away. And uh, all, all of a sudden, just there, there's kind of a lot of moving pieces on the women's side for SmackDown. You've got Charlotte. And Shotzi kind of in the mix now with Bailey and with EO. Um, Bianca is, you know, she'll be coming back soon. She's been off for a little bit. And then just Asuka interacting a little bit with EO, that kind of felt fresh. I'm, I'm, yeah. And I I'm think really this is what we're fixing to do. Yeah. This is going to be fun. The tag match was good. I, you know, you and I have both have said we don't like when champions lose in tag matches. I think it's it's okay. It's doable. It's yeah. It, it is. If you if you're gonna do it, do it in a tag match. But I, I like the fact that SmackDown started off with this. They got around 10 minutes. Um, and it was a surprise to see Asuka um just go at it with EO. And yep. I think them two in a program is going to be really fun and entertaining to watch. And we know the match will be uh, off the charts, man. L.A. Knight. Let me yeah. talk to you. Yeah. He's stacking up wins now. This is what we were needed for what we needed for a while from him. He interacts with Grayson Waller and Austin Theory. He gets a clean win over Austin Theory. They call Grayson Waller says that they're going to be called A Town Down Under, which is a great name, which is a just a <laughs> really fantastic name for them if they're a tag team. And then later in the night, when LA Knight wants to go talk to uh, Adam Pierce, he accepts Miz's challenge. So they're going to have a match on SmackDown next week. 
L.A. Knight has a little interaction with Paul Heyman. See, didn't I say something a couple of weeks ago you about did. this? You did, man. You called the you were you you noticed this early. You did, man. When Paul Heyman's talking about you and you're not involved in a storyline, uh, get the high, get the old highlighter when you're looking at horses to bet. And you like you see an angle. Put the highlighter on it, and I put the highlighter on that, Gina. You did. You did. That was like, a, hey, I don't know if I'm going to bet him this time, but next time but. when they stretch out and go a little <laughs> bit longer in distance, I've got the note. Right I got here. the note right here, baby. And L.A. Knight walked up right into Heyman's – Heyman said, you know, next time, don't interrupt me. You got that? And L.A. Knight, like, walked up right in his face and did the, like – He yeah. kissed him on the mouth. He was so yeah. close to him, right? He <laughs> opened his mouth and did – yeah, yeah, and kind of like breathe, dude. What? Face. What? I mean, who knows? Would you pop for L.A. Knight versus Roman Reigns? Oh my gosh, the crowd! Are you serious? Would love that, and that would be. Wouldn't that great, be? Wouldn't that be it, a good Royal Rumble main event? It would be perfect because one, it's a way to keep him out of the Rumble. Yes. So that yes. way you don't have the crowd worrying about hijacking it if you don't want him to win it, right? Right and two, um, that's a great way to keep fans Ooh, behind man. him. Right, you do the Daniel Bryan sort of thing where I'm not even saying that he's going to go beat Roman Reigns or no, absolutely like that, not. Right? But you and put I don't him care in that if he situation, does. you get him screwed, you have him screwed over in the match, and then you want the fans wanting it even more, believing it even more. Man, this guy—they're doing a really good job with him. They really are. And honestly, this is completely rejuvenated Miz. I, I'm oh, not yeah. saying that Miz oh, yeah. is like Miz, but this is happens with Miz. He'll go, he'll have a really good feud with someone out of nowhere. And then he'll kind of be out of sight, just doing his segments on TV or maybe doing, um, you know, promotional work for them. This, this is good. And I'm really looking forward to this match. And, and like his in-ring work has been solid too. I think the people that say LA Knight isn't good in the ring, that I don't like I don't like that way of describing it. I think what he is is like unorthodox. Sloppy. Yeah, like and sloppy's not even the right word, but it's it's almost like there are moments where it feels like he's actually in a real fight, like kind of struggling through something. And like he'll like have a spot where he kind of like gets ready to go for a move, but it it's not completely smooth and they got to do it the second time and then they do it better, but I never am watching the matches going He's a bad wrestler, or that was a complete botch. It's just well, there was nothing wrong with the uh, LA Knight Theory match. Nothing. That was good. That was and, really good, dude. And and like the biggest matches that he's had have all been good. Like his base level is solid. He's just like he's not Seth Rollins. That's all. Like that, and and that's not a negative. You know what I mean? Like he's a very good, solid wrestler. The dude can jump from the mat to the top rope. We've seen him leap from the mat straight to the top rope and then pull a superplex off. So every time I, re- I watch him wrestle even more and more, I get behind him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Judgment Day, Priest and Balor pick up a, a win. This was a good match with uh, the Brawling Brutes just to make them look strong on TV. And then right after this, what I loved, the one faction that we didn't mention – Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. Oh, yeah. They come out, they stand tall, and they look at the Judgment Day and they say, you're not the strongest faction in, you know, you're not taking over. And 
we're going to be the ones that take over from the bloodline. And I think they've been waiting a little bit with them because I, I almost felt like they wanted them to be heels initially. And now I don't think they're going to go that way. Now I think they're just going to kind of be like badass baby faces. What are your thoughts little, on that? With a little you more okay? I'm I'm okay with it because I think like Bobby for summer Bobby just gets cheered. You know, like he's one of he a does. He on does. the does that is like Bobby is on the tier of like Roman's on a tier all by himself and then bo- behind him you've got Seth and Cody and then like right behind them you've got like Drew and Bobby. You know, like he's up there. He really is. And and they haven't even done anything with him recently. He hasn't done anything recently at all, and the crowd still cheers him every time he shows up. Bobby Lashley is a star, and I think that's why. I think they realized that it would be a little hard to boo all these guys because they're funny and they're creative and they're entertaining. So, yeah, give me give me the three of these guys together feuding with the Judgment Day. Could be a blast. Could I be agree. A real, could be a real blast. Um, Other stuff to mention. That was AJ versus Jimmy was the main event, and that was over on SmackDown. Then on Raw, we have Raw open up with Jey Uso. Two years ago, I couldn't tell the difference between Jimmy and Jey Uso. And and it was because WWE didn't want us to tell the difference between Jimmy and Jey Uso. They didn't ever have separate storylines. They were just a tag team. And now they've made Jey Uso over on Monday Night Raw feel like his own character a big deal, feel important. I think they've done a really good job bringing him over and making him feel like like an individual here, Chad. He's not just part of something. They're teasing him with the bloodline. They're teasing his stuff with Sammy and KO. Is he going to be a good guy? Is he going to be a bad guy? It's, well, they're telling a story. You know, look at the difference between telling a story just and then just bringing him on TV, having him win a match in 10 minutes, and then what? Right. And see, that's what AEW has been doing. They do. That's what, that, that's what they do. Yep. Um, I, I like the separation here. Um, one on Raw, one on SmackDown. Of course, there were a couple of dirt sheets. Oh, they're going AEW. Come on, guys. Let's let's yes. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's let's calm down here. I, I just and he's having good matches. Both of them are, and it's okay if they lose. All right. They're not directly involved with the bloodline right now. So they can have good matches and they can lose. It's okay. It's good storytelling and good wrestling. Coop, the Judgment Day pick up a win over KO and Jimmy Uso or Jay Uso. We saw KO come out. He said, hey, look, you know, I've been down the road that you've been. I've done some of the things <laughs> you've done. He was going to give him a chance and they teamed up together, but they couldn't coexist. They couldn't do it. And now I'm I'm very interested because they're telling this story with Jey Uso, with Sammy, with KO. The Judgment Day are involved. You kind of got like Drew McIntyre and Cody involved because Cody was the guy that brought Jey over. Drew McIntyre is pissed off about, you know, Jey being here. There's all these layers to the story. And I'm super curious. Like, I don't even know who they're going to send back to SmackDown. But when they do... That's another layer of the story to tell. Who do you think? I have no idea, so I'm asking you. Who do you I think? don't either. I mean, I think the most that makes sense would be Cody or KO to me. Yeah, I think I think that it's it's Cody or KO. I think if you're going 
Cody Roman at WrestleMania, it's I think yeah. we're going to get Cody over there. That's the easiest way to do it, just to put yeah. him right over there. And uh, and you know, if it's KO, that would lead to a bunch of drama between KO and Sammy and things between them, which I don't know if I want right now. Like, I don't know if we need another Kevin and Sammy feud right this second. You know, they've had so many of them through the years, and they're fine right now being partners and friends. Um, let's see, where else did we move on Monday Night Raw? We have uh, Miz got his his uh, his win back against Tazawa there. So. The only was- problem I have with this is, isn't Tazawa on NXT and involved in the Yes, and no. that you're that's a great point. It's like I just why don't at the like same exact making, moment yeah. when you're doing that, same exact moment, you're having him actually look like a strong wrestler on NXT. And then a joke on the main roster, which if you want to make he's been a joke for a while with this ninja stuff and the twenty four seven title, which whatever. is fine. The guy's never going to be a big deal. But I this this is my complaint here. I don't mind him losing, I don't mind him losing in squash, but I don't want to see him on Tuesday night have these fantastic matches and go, man, what the hell? Yeah, that's know. that's my complaint here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now we do get Miz and LA Knight, you know, despite being raw, they are having a rematch Friday night, tomorrow night on SmackDown, right? I think they, they called it. They are the poor women's tag title division. God almighty. It just they've had some <sighs> bad luck, but then they do it to themselves too after yeah. the bad luck, right? I, I just I don't know what's going on here. It was. Very I mean, why? I, look, I look again. Why? Why are we jobbing out Chelsea Green to be the joke? She doesn't have to do that every every time. She can do it once or twice, or she can lose to someone they're in a feud with and be a that, brat. Like, I just come on, man. This this is just this is not good booking by the WWE. See, no, I said it, AEW fans. I said it. It's not. It's not. And we got to improve this quite a bit. Where do you think they're going to go with Gunther? He had his Man. Um, title celebration. He looks like a star. Gable comes out there. He looks like a star. Talking I mean, about can how you, can you afford for Gable to lose at this point? This guy is you I talk about so. popular. And that's the problem. You're right with the things that he said. How I'm going to be the guy to take it from you. You made my daughter cry. Like, is he going to be the guy to do the it guy? now? I, I, I oh boy, I, I'm not sure. Um, I will say. It it felt a little bit out of nowhere, but I did like that Champa was out there. Like it 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 felt a little like forced to get him out there, but they did show him cut a promo a few weeks ago. They did show him go talk to Adam Pierce, and he did mention he was in the match and he could have had a chance to win and face Gunther. He was in the match and he could have had a chance to go and face Seth Rollins, and he didn't. So it it wasn't perfect. But I actually like seeing him out there. And if it's going to be more Champa and it's going to get a chance to build him up, I think that was positive. I agree. Xavier Woods always has really good matches, man. Yeah, he does. He's a cut below the guy that they really, really want to push. But, man, like, I could get behind, like, a Xavier Woods IC title run. Something like that. And I love – we talked about it earlier. I love when McIntyre said, you know, he was talking trash on Kofi. And then (laughs) – then Xavier goes, are you mad because Kofi won the world title at WrestleMania in front of 82,000 fans? That was when he said it. <laughs> that was when he said it. It was great. And, and the here's the funny thing. That wasn't the attendance of that show. No, it wasn't. It, it was not. 
we have Cody, and uh, he gets interrupted. Th- this is one thing I will critique a little bit too. It doesn't feel like they have much of a plan right this second for Cody. He's kind of floating somewhere, you know, like he finished up the stuff with Brock, and now it's like uh, we don't have something for him till next month, so we're just kind of having him come out and smile and wave. But it, it doesn't feel like they have a plan right this second for him. Right. And Maybe that's- him and Dom again. Dom gets involved, you know. Yeah. Then there's, you know, J.D. McDonough because, you know, he, he, he gets involved. I didn't mind the segment, but I no, do No, no, I don't mind the you. segment. I it don't think there is like, a vision for Cody right now. Yeah, he feels like it. it's like, okay, we've got something for Cody that's supposed to start in the middle of October. But, but, but the, here's, here's one thing, two things I did notice. That wasn't a top-of-the-hour segment for Cody, which I thought was interesting. I'm not yeah. looking into that. But number two, the crowd sure was hot for this, so he hasn't cooled down at all. Not at all. Okay? And neither so have just the, know that. the live events, neither no. have the ticket sales or the merch or any of that. Um, continuing along with Rollins and Nakamura for Ricochet. But Nakamura looks dastardly, and uh, maybe we can get Ricochet off for a few weeks and he can come back with with motivation, right? Maybe he can come back and have a feud with Nakamura and beat Nakamura. That, that would at least be something for Ricochet down the line that could be positive because one of the one of the concerns with Ricochet has been the same problem, the same thing we critique AEW for. He, he gets so few storylines. The only time he got a story was with Logan Paul. Other than that, it's like, oh, hey, look, here's Ricochet having a good match. Yeah, true. And we need a little more than that in order to care from him. And, and Seth Rollins told us who he is. Yeah. I thought this was great. Really good. Talked about all the different shades of Seth Rollins, all the different characters he's been. And this felt like this felt like a real person explaining their growth and development in their life. You know, Chad, like I've had years where I was bitter and mad at the world and I was angry. This happened and I got sick and then this. And then the next year you meet someone and you're happier and you're better. And then the next year you sort of change. And that's exactly what Seth was doing here. He was kind of going through his entire career. I really, really liked it. And now we're fleshing out this character overall. Shout out to Seth Rollins. Uh, next week we get Shinsuke Ricochet and Drew McIntyre versus Jay Uso. Over Monday and Tuesday night, we have a brand new star in the world of wrestling, Chad Cooper. We knew she was going to be a star. She was getting close. She was she was on the way. But since she had had the title put on her, she hadn't been as interesting as before. But wow, what a Ooh. 24 hours for Tiffany Stratton, huh? And From I Monday know- night to Tuesday night, even in defeat. I know a lot of people are crapping on this. They are because I read comments on Twitter slash X. Um, if you don't think this catapulted her career by over the last couple of weeks, just being involved with Becky Lynch, being on Monday Night Raw, the segment, and then Tuesday night having nearly 900,000 people, it's going to be more than that for that segment because the ratings were what? 860 was the average. So over 900 
thousand people watched you on Tuesday night go one on one with Becky Lynch and lose the title. If you think this is burying Tiffany Stratton, then it's time for you to step away from the TV and go follow something else because Tiffany Stratton is a major star. Not going to be. She is a major star now, Gino, in that quick of time. This was amazing, honestly. Like, this was amazing. She felt like she was on the level of Becky just a little below, right? Just like, oh, like young and not quite there, but wow, almost there. Her in-ring work and the character work, it all came together over a 24-hour period. And we saw her on Raw, and then we saw her on NXT. She loses the match, but she's going to become a babyface through this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's going to be the end of this is going to be her as a babyface getting this title from Becky. Or maybe they have a heel beat Becky and cheat, and then she can get it from the heel. You know, there's just there's just so much. And the one thing to really look at is, you know, you and I talked about it. Rhea didn't have a challenger for a while. We were concerned. There was nothing under me underneath her because she was that she was that popular. And we end Raw with back-to-back women's segments. The segment with Becky and Rhea Ripley match. And and fresh. And now what we're going to do is Becky was kind of in no man's land too. Yes. Right? She was in a spot where it was like, damn, okay, Becky's not going to go beat Rhea right now. That's probably a match they had saved for WrestleMania or for down the line. Right? Becky and Rhea. So... They don't want to get there. What else do you do with Becky, right? Like we saw, yeah. she had a, a feud with Trish. She was in the, the the tag team title picture for a little while. They were trying all these different things with her. It didn't really fit. Now, you know what? She can be on NXT, have this NXT Women's Championship on both rosters. She can defend it on the main roster a little bit too. It's going to make that intriguing. And it just gives Becky a little bit of something to do for... The next maybe couple months right now in this, yeah. in this you know, football time period where it's tough a lot of times your ratings go down a little bit and not only football, but network television's all back right now too, right? Sure. Like all I your, agree. that's the schedule of TV during the summer. There's not a lot of new TV, although there's, there's a writer strike. So some, a lot of these shows aren't going to be coming back, but that is the schedule of it, right? Generally, like now is when you get the, the TV shows coming back. So I like, I like this with with Becky and like I'm. Well, not tell us n- what happened. Tell us what happened to end of the night, Gino. I want to hear you say her name. She's not like most girls. It only <laughs> takes just once to get. It's like a perfect little person. You can <laughs> not. You can like or not like Nia Jax. That's fine. She's a heel. You're not supposed to like her. Oh yeah. Hey, here's the problem. If you thought Rhea was a heel, uh-uh. she's not. No shot. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And that, and that's actually fine. Um, Rhea's been getting cheered, and and I think, and I actually feel bad for Raquel. That was the problem with this feud is that they don't know. I think the fans are are sort of starting to not be sure what to do with Rhea. Some points because they boo the shit out of Dominic, yeah. right? <laughs> but they love Rhea because she's awesome. She's sexy. She's great in the ring. She's got this presence. She's got a, a unique look to her. Um. And the fans wanted to cheer her more than they wanted to cheer Raquel. So the dynamic in the Rhea-Raquel match was off. Because some it's not that anyone hates Raquel. 
it's just we don't have any reason to like Raquel more than we would like Rhea. Now with Nia out there, Nia is going to get all the booze and Rhea is going to get all the cheers. The the dynamic is going to be very simple between these two, no doubt about it. And I'm fine with it. I have no Me problem too. with it. You had just mentioned it didn't feel like there were challengers for Rhea and maybe because we were looking on the babyface side. Yes. Right? Yes. We weren't thinking about it from a an opposite perspective. Can you go get a heel? And and instead of bringing up a heel from NXT or or someone else from a different roster, you the WWE audience knows Nia Jax. WWE has already invested years of their own time and money into the character of Nia Jax. And so you may not like her. You may wonder and say, why couldn't this be someone else or a different person? If this is just supposed to be a couple month feud, this is the exact type of thing that used to happen in the territories or with Hulk Hogan, right? You bring in a heel for them for just a short period of time. We saw with The Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez, Kamala, the fake, <laughs> the fake Undertaker, right? Yo like, he had, like, uh, like he had a match with the extreme fighting machine, Kama Mustafa. Oh, they my brought, God. They brought King <laughs> Kong Bundy back to have a Ooh. match with The Undertaker at SummerSlam at 94, I Man, believe. Or you are going way back. So, like. This isn't this doesn't bother me at all. It's not like Naya stepping in front of a bunch of other waiting challengers that are ready. This is going to be a month or two of feud for Rhea to be able to turn babyface on a on a dastardly heel. Yes. I agree. Dude, now, let's fantasy book. Let's get ahead of the cart, okay? Let's put the apples in front of the cart. Is that what it's, it is? Yes, it uh, is. Let's do it. Or don't put the apple cart in front of the horse whatever it is. Does Naya unseat her? No, I don't. Okay. I don't think Rhea's ready to lose for a while. She's just on such another level. I could, okay. I think you could do a some sort of an not an injury angle, but I could see this being a couple month feud where you have first match, Nia loses by DQ, where she just beats the crap out of Rhea after the match and tries to injure her. Okay, and then you have Rhea come back and get the win. Do we do the? The earthquake versus Hulk Hogan storyline <laughs> right here. Oh, Look at where we're, we're all over the place. We're Woo. now we're going to SummerSlam 92. Did, did you write the letter to Hulk Hogan when you weren't sure if Hulk Hogan was going to come back? He was in the hospital. They gave you a PO I box where, where you could write did, the letter. Brother. So did I. I, I did, raised brother. my hand. I did. I'm saying, I say, hey, I took my vitamins and said my prayers. I said those prayers. Hulk Hogan. I was a Hulkamaniac. Mrs. Bacola wrote that letter out by hand and sent that bad boy in. And we got a form letter back from the Hulkster saying, I'm not done, brother. I'm not I'm done. I'm going to be there. It's a double main event. SummerSlam <laughs> 1990. Event. We've got the Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude in the first main Woo! event in a steel cage. And then in the second part of the main event, Hulk Hogan. Versus the earthquake. It was earthquake. one of those too, where like well, Hogan wins by DQ, but celebrates oh, yeah. like when yes. like he didn't even get like well, a clean win. crashing down. And he's brother, brother. <laughs> slut, shout out tent tangent, but yeah. yesterday as we're as we're talking about this and we're finishing with Raw, 
and uh, we'll we'll move to NXT right now. Yesterday, we are recording on Thursday. On Wednesday, WWE and the UFC TKO merger was complete. It went That's down. It. So yes, on on Wednesday, Vinny Mac made a hundred and twelve million dollars on Wednesday alone, just by this his stock increase price increase and and the sale. Um, he was out there, so you know they had you know Nick Khan and Dana White and all of the major figures, the, like the executives from both of these companies, and they're out there, you know, taking pictures and stuff. And Vince was doing the Hogan. The, he, did you see him? He was le- like leading into the crowd to listen in. Vince With is that mustache that's colored the, just for men. Dark. He literally looks like he's a Looney Tunes villain. You know what I mean? Like, like yes, like the little caper. Guy. Yes, like the caper should, in the black and, hat. And when he opens his mouth, it should be French. Like yes. he looks like he speaks French based on the dye job that he's got on his hair. The dark black, and he's doing the Hogan. He's doing the Hogan lean in with the ear listen, which I gotta say, man, what like what a guy. Like this dude just he just man, Vinnie Mac picking up a hundred million. And uh, we move to NXT Chad. Let's finish up over here. It shows you <laughs> NXT. I- I'm I'm not gonna pretend like it's been perfect all along. Those first few months of the change from the golden, uh, the black and gold brand to the uh, 2.0, 2.0 splash color paint all over the wall. <laughs> like, what do we got there? <laughs> it was it was a struggle. There were a few times where I, the the two that I'll bring up over and over. So I'm sorry, folks. I sound like a broken record when I bring these up. But the Carmelo and Trick promo oh, yeah. in ring, and there was one with Mandy. And Gigi and JC. And those two felt like, oh wow, this is really developmental. Like these are people that haven't cut a lot of promos and that haven't had a lot of mic time. And the exact same thing I'm telling you to do with AEW. And, I, and I'm saying AEW should do. And I've said every week AEW should do in building stories more, in showing us more video packages, in taking more time to build things up. We're not getting that. Uh, we we got that in NXT, and now, a year plus later, this entire roster is studs and stars and gals that are awesome. Like even Roxanne feels more like she's growing into herself in in like in her promos. You've got Tiffany that we've seen, Wesley. You've got Carmelo. Carmelo and Trick are having this cool interaction backstage. And man, what about your boy? What about my your boy? Boy, the my boy. He is the your beast. next NXT champion, and he will be the man that beats Gunther when he gets called up onto the main roster. Hey! Ilya Dragunov. He is he is such a good professional wrestler, and it's just someone that shows you he wins everybody over by, by what he does on TV every week. Match every week. Match promo. Intensity, making it feel like whatever segment he's in is the biggest deal in the world. And the way he pronunciates his words <laughs> and he talks and every vowel just matters. Chad, it's just, I love, 
I want to stand there and let him spit in my face. Really? You know, I do. It's like, it's like when I was a fan of Pete Carroll coaching USC, I loved him so much. I just wanted to let him pat me on the butt. I just wanted my slap on the ass. Petey, just slap me and let me go, you know? And that's, that's what I feel when I'm watching Dragon Off. They got an 850,000 rating on NXT. Becky Lynch moves the needle. That's their best rating in three years. That was a top 10 all-time rating, 0.26 for them. When the extended numbers come out, when it shows you hour, you know, 15 by 15 by 15, the the four the four segments per hour, I, with it being 850, 860, there has to be something over 900,000 there for that to be that high. Yeah. Crazy, crazy yep. stuff. So got it. Got to give a, uh, some love there as uh wow, that just a great number. Becky gets the win over Stratton in the main event. We've talked about that before. We had a great match between Dragonoff and Wesley to start. And now Wesley goes away for a tad. He can come back with the character change. And you've got Dragonoff against Carmelo. I think Dragonoff wins that match because it feels like they're telling yeah. a story still with Has Carmelo to. and maybe with Trick. I, I think it's Dragonoff. Has to be. Has to be. And I'm for it. I'm sold. I wasn't sold only before, but Gino, you sold him to me. Man, drag the dragon there. Just doing it. Um, and. Corbin and Gate and um and Braun. This yeah. segment was intriguing to me. Loved it. He was I loved interesting. It. You know what? Corbin's not a bad actor. He really isn't. Like he comes out there. Corbin's done the um, you know he he did the sad gimmick, the loser Corbin. You know where he was, you know broke. He's been an ass plenty of the time, and then he comes out here and he's acting like, man, what you did. Like he was putting over um, both Braun and what Braun did, you know, putting our guy through a table last week and and severely injuring him. And then he turns again and and says, ha ha, I really liked what you did. But then Braun Breaker says, I don't care. I don't need your approval. It's a little weird because it's heel versus heel, but I'm su- like both of them are really intriguing now with this. And yes. I like it. I think it's a good use of both of them. I love it. Uh, putting Vaughn, like you said, putting Vaughn Wagner, quote unquote, out of business for the time being. Uh, we wondered what was going to happen with Braun Breaker after uh, uh, Carmelo uh, was the champion. What does Braun do? Um, we thought immediately he was going up to the main roster. He didn't. And what they've been able to do over the last couple of months by keeping him out of the title pack, out of the title picture has been nothing short of intriguing. And this is really, really good stuff. I like Baron Corbin. He's done some of his best work down here in NXT. This is going to be fun to watch. And I think this is going to be a good stiff wrestling match when they get going. I agree. We've had really do really fun NXT global heritage matches. Um, They've been see like tournaments like that or good for weekly TV. Yes. It's, it's like especially if they're like long form tournaments. This is like the uh the G1 in New Japan. This was solid. Um we had a big tag team match and as they should have, the Creed brothers get a big and decisive win. There's been a long-term story with them too. It's felt yes. like a long time, but we know the Creed brothers and now when they eventually win, It'll be fun. And now, again, we built the tag teams back up to where 
I think the Creed brothers and Tony D and Stax could be really fun main roster tag teams. It, and it would, it just, it goes to show you the talent that's there. Um, and I think it's good instead of, and look, we all want to see people on the main roster, even though, look, NXT is, look, Becky Lynch is the champion now down there for the women, for the NXT Women's Championship. We all, we all continue to say main roster, main roster, main roster. At the end of the day, it's the WWE umbrella and NXT is now getting to the point where they're getting, they're closer to a million than they are than 700,000. Think yeah. about that for a second, Gino. That is wild, Okay. Um, we all want to see Braun Breaker um, and these uh, dragging off on Raw or SmackDown. I think they know what they're doing, and I think it's 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 better for us wrestling fans that they continue to stay where they are for the time being. This doesn't okay? feel like it feels more like the third brand again. Yes, one hundred percent. You've got Dominic as your NXT North American champion. The the Judgment Day is down there a lot. Rhea's been down there a bunch. Becky's now down there. I I love the way they've been using the main roster talent when they don't have as much to do with them. They did the same thing with Finn and with Ziggler, Dana Brooke. We saw Natty go down there for a little while. And look at the the matches for No Mercy, which is in two weeks. Braun Breaker versus Baron Corbin. I'm pumped for that. Carmelo versus Dragunov. I'm really pumped for that. Dom versus Ali. That's going to be a blast. Noam Dar versus whoever wins the uh, NXT Global Heritage Invitational. And you'll probably have a Becky match on that card with either against either Tiffany or someone else. And now, like, just really, really well done on NXT. They've built things up. Like, I guarantee we'll get a Becky Roxanne match at some point. Oh, man. You know, because Roxanne is like a blue chipper that they love. We'll definitely get. Get that one. We'll probably get a Becky versus uh, Blair match, right? Ooh, Where she's one yeah, of the, yeah. the dastardly heels there. Um, coming up on Tuesday, Carmelo versus Myst- Dominic in a champion versus champion match. No titles on the line. You got Roxanne Perez versus Lola. Tyler Bate versus Butch. That Ooh. was the the NXT UK championship match. Those two guys. Oh, if they, if them, like, good catch. Um, Butch was mentioning it. He cut a promo. When when Tyler Bate was 15, that was his first match was against Pete Dunne. Um, these two guys have an unbelievable history together. They could have a fantastic match. Remember, they had that match on the NXT TakeOver. Ah, good catch, show. dude. Nothing uh, gets the, past you. For the NXT UK, even with all the, the gonge I've smoked through the years, Chad Cooper, <laughs> I still have plenty of room in the that frame route. for things to set in there. Uh, in the main event, Becky wins one in a good week of wrestling for oh, man. Fun stuff. for NXT. The ratings were up. And what we're going to see for WWE on Monday, especially, the ratings are not going to be for a while. Monday Night Football had the largest hey, hey, rating. Who, who booked that Monday Night Football game? Who oh booked my God, it? Was it right? Vince Russo? Because was, it was not looking good. And then wasn't. all of a sudden, someone made the call. Vince, let me get into the, let me get into gorilla position. It Somebody was, made the call and turned that game around. Come on, they, man! They flipped that thing instantly. <laughs> and, and I think and because and what really hurt uh, Raw's ratings was the game was close. It wasn't a blowout, and people were waiting to hear a report. 
on Aaron what Rogers. happened yeah. to yeah. Rodgers. People were waiting. Is he going to come back? Is he done? Are we going to hear something on the broadcast? And I think waiting, waiting, waiting. It was also the first Monday night game of the year. And then sure. this week coming up, there's actually two games. Um, one that starts a little bit earlier in. But Coop, we are done with wrestling. Any? Let's shift on over and, and take a minute or two. Uh, we have another week of college football. You and I had a couple bad beats last oh, week. Oh, man. But then it flipped back the other way for you when it came to Texas. Um, they get the job done there. And we're – your beat – you had Texas Tech, right? No, no, no. If I would have had Texas Tech, I wouldn't be on this podcast today. Because my buddy Eric did as one of them. And that was one of the just most disgusting beats. that Texas Eric- Tech was disgusting, and so was Baylor. They were Baylor both disgusting. Baylor was gross. Those but were Texas bad. Tech was a brutal – because they were driving to possibly win the game. Yeah. And they so. threw the interception and it went <laughs> oh, just no, no. It went off the rails. Oh, my uh, God. Okay. So I'm four and two. I went one and two last week. I, I had Miami uh, over Texas AM. That was they an easy very one. good. So I had North Carolina State plus seven and a half against Notre Dame. North Carolina State is down seven to start the fourth quarter in the red zone. The next three passes that the quarterback for North Carolina State threw were interceptions, and it just went off the rails, okay? It it just – my second game was one of your games. Come on, Nebraska. What are we doing? I mean, how many turnovers are we going to have? I will say that's another one where I'm I'm – not like a coach prime hater at all. No, right? no, like, I absolutely, is, dude, no. This is not no. a thing where I'm like, Come on. But, but they are a little overvalued right now because the way those games have, have played out because TCU wasn't as good as people thought coming back. They lost a lot from last year, so they were a little overvalued. And then, dude, you pointed it out, Nebraska kept hurting themselves. Nebraska's defense was playing really well early in yeah. that game. They were stopping yeah. Colorado and they missed a field goal. They kept turning the ball over themselves. They were self-inflicted wounds. It wasn't like Colorado's defense was flying around making plays. That was a that was a frustrating one. And I don't know if it's going to be this week because they play Colorado State. But after, yeah. But after that, then they've got Oregon and then or- USC. And USC, right? So I'm going to stay away from Colorado this week. Me too. I am. Too. I think <laughs> I just am. I learned my lesson. But they're twenty and a half, twenty. 21 against Colorado State, who's a rival. And, 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 Nor- and Norvell just came out today, which is uh, the uh, – or what, uh, whatever his name is. The head coach for Colorado State came out today and gave bulletin board material, and, and somebody mentioned something to him in the press conference about sunglasses, and he made a comment. You know, real anything? Yeah, a real man takes a sun – his mama teaches him to take their sunglasses. Dude, just stop. But I, I'm not I'm not gonna mess with that game. Colorado's on fire. I, I think it's a rival. I think it'll be closer than 20 and a half, but I'm gonna stay away from that. I got two games marked, okay? I had Miami last week. Uh, I had some little cheese on them to win straight up. I wasn't concerned about that. So now I'm gonna flip it over. I'm on Texas AM's bandwagon this week. And let me tell you why, Gino. They're a big home favorite. They're minus 35 at home against UL Monroe, who's 2-0, okay? A&M has not been able to run the football. 
94 yards in the opener against New Mexico, maybe only 120, 130 against Miami. They got brought back down to earth after a 52 to six win week one over New Mexico. They got brought back down to earth to Miami. You come home embarrassed. Okay. You're minus 35 against Monroe who beat army barely, who is terrible. And then they beat Lamar university, which is right here in Beaumont, Texas, an FCS school. They were minus 30 and they beat Lamar by 10. They needed a late field goal to put that away. AM has Auburn on the schedule next week. And this is the only stat that concerns me. AM is one and eight against the spread before an Auburn game. But a lot of those games have been SEC against conference games. Opponents. Okay. Yes, so I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna stretch through that. If you can't get it right this week at home in Aggieland, in College Station against Monroe, if you can't put up 50 or 60 and you can't keep them out of the end zone, You're then somebody better start passing the hat. That $100 million contract is going to be gone. Goodbye for Jimbo. I'm going to go AM minus 35 here. I know it's a big spread, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Lay it. Here's my, lay it. I, I'm going to lay it. Here's, I'm going to the Rio Grande River Valley shootout or whatever it's called. No one even knows what this is. I'm going to play New Mexico State and New Mexico. Nice. Oh, where am I going with this? New Mexico is minus two. I'm going to take the other side, New Mexico State. I'm going to go with those Aggies plus two. Hey, I know they were blown out by, uh, or excuse me, New Mexico, yeah, was blown out. New Mexico State was blown out by AM. Then they blew out Tennessee Tech. At least New Mexico here can score. They're one and two. They put a lot of a lot of points against uh, Liberty. A lot of points against UMass. But this is why I'm going to play New Mexico State in this game. Okay, they're eleven. And, oh, go ahead. Keep plus two. They're eleven and six. The last seventeen away games. Okay, New Mexico who is giving points here three and 18 against the spread in the last 18 as an away favorite, including Oh, for their last eight. I don't need the points. I don't want the points. I'm going to take the points. New Mexico state plus two. And I'm putting money on the morning line. That's my two games this week. Gino, the trend master, Chad Cooper, four and two so far this year, trying to keep it, on the positive my man thank you so much buddy you have a fantastic weekend good luck in your plays enjoy the uh the weather the rain over there it's good for you and we'll be following along with you at the chad cooper on twitter and on instagram you have a great weekend buddy favorite time of the week gino good luck this weekend good luck to everyone out there thanks so much for hanging out with us and we'll be back again with you next week for this week in wrestling with chad cooper a big thank you to Koopaloop for helping us out with this week in wrestling. Good luck to Chad with his plays. Good luck to Barry with his plays over at Woodbine. Great handicapping, as always, from the sniper, Barry Spears. And good luck to Eric with his plays this week in the world of NFL. Good luck to all of you. This will be sort of the schedule we'll be keeping for a while now. We'll have chat on to talk about wrestling. We'll have Eric to talk about NFL game previews. Barry will join us a lot of weeks to preview whatever the big races are, wherever they're coming from. And uh, we'll have some weeks where we talk a little more college football, probably have a baseball segment or two when the playoffs start. Um, And we'll roll into Ahsoka. And then from there, we'll get to Loki. 
That'll be the next series we have coming up, I believe, in October next month. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again, everyone. Hope you all have a great weekend.